get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Zuccarello fires it through. Husso, another sliding save. That gave Fiala a banner reader. The dumb butt into the corner. Alone is Erickson Eck in front. Husso makes the save. A rebound shot coming on. Save made by Husso. He paddles the puck away to the corner. It's shoveled away by Falk. Backhanded to the goal. Husso the save. He covers it up. And magically, he keeps it out of the net. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Even the BKO couldn't take down the Blues last night. They take down oh. the Wild four to nothing in game number one of this first round series between the Blues in Minnesota. That's what it sounded like last night, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. It was great to be along this for is the what ride. It sounded like with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We were on pre-post and intermission last night for the Blues game, and Alex. I think very simply, the number one storyline of that game was Ville Husso. He showed up in such a massive way. Early on, you take the early penalty. He's able to come up with a couple of massive saves, finishes the game with 37 saves, a shutout in the playoffs, a miraculous performance by him. And that is a big part of why the Blues are up 1-0 in this series. Yeah, and he joked around last night afterwards saying that, you know, he had a little bit of nerves going into it. David Alexander, the goaltending coach, had to talk to him a little bit about what the energy was going to be like. And that's why I was so... Not concerned, but questioning that first game with Ville Husso because some guys can live up to those expectations. Other guys can't. Mike Smith is a perfect example from Edmonton. He's been there before and he still struggles. What is it? 10 consecutive losses in the postseason. Some guys can take their game to the next level. Other guys can't. And we now officially learned last night that Ville Husso can take his game to the next level. And I was really impressed by him. What impressed me the most was the second period because that was the period that the Blues didn't have their best. They were taking penalties. There was a lot of dumb calls that were made where Minnesota was on the power play and four on fours were taking place. It wasn't normal hockey. But Ville Husso was like, it's fine. I got you guys. It's the momentum shifting saves. And again, I have no measurement for this. It's a it's an Alex Ferrario breakdown. It's a great segment idea, by the way. Write it down, guys. But a momentum shifting save. Vili Husso had those in the second period. And the one that still sticks out to me was the pass to, from Jordan Cairo to Ryan Hartman for a breakaway. That was the save where it's like, up oh, our goaltenders watched it. He didn't that. Jordan Cairo nearly had an assist to the other team. He, he was open, though. He legitimately passed it from the neutral zone behind him without looking to Ryan Hartman, who was like, 
Thanks. Hartman almost missed it because he was so surprised by the pass. But that's what you need. Your goaltender, when he makes that one save, and he made a couple of them, one on Kaprizov in the first period on the power play, one on Kevin Fiala in the third. But when your goaltender makes that save that the other team's like, are you kidding me? That's when your team says, all right, he's locked in, boys. Let's go play our game. And they did that, and they ran away with it because of Villahusa. He also ran away with his job. I think last night earned him the benefit of the doubt moving forward. I don't think you can make a change in this series. Now, could he allow seven goals in the next game and they no. decide to pull him? Sure, that, I guess that's technically possible. But no, within the realistic range of outcomes of what we should expect for Ville Husso, I think Ville Husso's your guy now in the first round. When you have a shutout like that against that team, by the way, it's not as if the Blues prevented a ton of shots. They weren't like some goal-suppressing uh, style of a hockey team last night. They allowed 18 high-danger chances. The second and the third period, Minnesota was able to get to the front of the net. Blues did a really good job of preventing that in the first. Huso just stood on his head. He he bought you time, and that gave you the benefit of being able to go to work on your special teams. But Ville Huso, I think, bought himself some time as well. Even if he has a, a couple of down performances, that's your guy. Going forward, that is the guy for the Blues in net. I agree with that. And, and, you know, heading into that playoff game, the biggest question mark for the Blues, I think, was the goaltending. Just how would Huso raise his game in the playoffs? And as you said, he stopped everything, the 18 high-danger scoring chances. I thought the Blues were decent in the first period in terms of their defense. Second and third, things got a little bit looser. I think part of that was because of all the penalties that were called. But, yeah, I, I think there was maybe potentially, if you saw a bad game from Huso, you would be weighing the potential of a Jordan Biddington start in game two. Now I truly believe it is going to be Ville Husso is either going to take you to the promised land or you're going to lose with Ville Husso. You're either going down with the ship or you're going to ride him until you get, go and lift the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I said it last night that after that first game, and I understand it's the first game, a lot of things can change, but I feel like Craig Berube is looking at Ville Husso the way he looked at Jordan Bennington in that cup run and said, even if there was a bad game, we're going to go right back to him because we're confident in him. And I just went and looked at it. So the amount of games this season that Ville Husso has given up four or more goals, he responds with a really strong performance. Back in the early portion of the season, gave up four goals against the Tampa Bay Lightning, responded with a 941 save percentage that lost in the shootout to the Florida Panthers. Um, on March 19th, he gave up five goals, an 815 save percentage against Columbus, responded with a 915 save percentage against the Washington Capitals. And then, of course, what we just saw last night was a response to giving up six goals to the Vegas Golden Knights. It's not the same as Jordan Bennington, but it is eerily similar in terms of confidence on rebounding from a bad game, wiping that from your memory bank and saying, okay, we're focusing on this one right now. And this was the best performance of his career. Yeah, it it was the most important one for sure. I think you can argue given the stakes, it was the best game that we've seen from him in a blues uniform. Ville Husso was awesome last night, and he's a massive part of why you're up 1-0 in this series. Alex, when you look at this series, though, I think there's a chance last night is exactly what the doctor ordered for the Blues to be able to get inside of the dome of the Minnesota Wild. Here's what Ryan Carter, the Wild's TV analyst, said with us yesterday on the show. Where I think that matters is for sure tonight, game one. I think if the Blues find a way to steal game one tonight, the fact that they were able to beat them on the big stage this year at the Winter Classic, I think everybody tries to sweep that under the rug, but I do think that that matters. If the Blues can somehow solidify the fact that that wasn't an accident, I think that could be a huge advantage for them. Do you agree with that? Do you think they are officially in the Wild's head after that performance last night? Not yet. 
I think game two is going to be very impactful in terms of getting into their head. But I do think that Minnesota might be second guessing themselves a little bit. Look, Minnesota's not going to go into game two and roll over and say, all right, you guys win. We're going to lose the next three and get swept in the first round. Great if they did, though. It'd be great if they did. Marcus Foligno said it last night. He's like, look, we won game one last year in the first round, and then we lost in the next five games. So sometimes it doesn't matter what takes place in game one. But I do think Ryan is on to something in terms of the Blues went into Minnesota on their first ever Winter Classic, beat them. They beat them twice, one coming from behind and winning in overtime and then allowing Minnesota to come from behind and winning in overtime. And then this one. And this is the one where all of the energy was up. Now, I think game two is going to be very impactful because now Minnesota's not, oh, it's the playoffs and ooh, everyone's got a sold out crowd and Marc-Andre Fleury's in it. Now it's just, okay, now we got to win a game. So if the Blues can find a way to eliminate their offense again like they did last night, Game two might be the mental that might break the Minnesota wild. But I think this is a start to something, according to Ryan Carter, because I would imagine Minnesota's looking at this thinking, man, what the hell do we got to do to beat these guys? Yeah, I think game two is where that happens. If if you're able to win game two, and I don't care the score, honestly, if you go up 2-0 and you have completely at that point stolen home ice advantage, you take them down 2-0 on their home ice. That's when I think mentally the wild could be broken. The other thing is at that point, they're going to have some big questions in net. They're going to have some big questions with the matchups. And now they're coming here where the blues have the last change. Like, I think that game two is where something like that happens. I have too much respect and belief in what the wild have built this year to think that after one game where they just got flat out beat and in a weird game, by the way, with a ton of penalties, just super emotional. I I don't think that's what does it for them. I do think in game two, if you see something similar, that's where you break the wild mentally. I I do think they are at the point, though, with this team. One, the Jared Spurgeon cross check on Pavel Buchnevich. That's a great example of them losing their temper. And that's an inexperienced team that doesn't know how to control it in the playoffs. That's their captain who is like up for the lady being. I mean, that, that is not what you expect from a guy like that. But then they also like they're in the head in terms of Minnesota not knowing how to play the Blues because they can't run around and try and throw the punches like Jordan Greenway usually does because that bit them in the ass last night. They found themselves in the box every time they tried to do the extracurriculars and the Blues said, all right, we'll make you pay. Craig Bruby had that quote earlier this season. You know how you make them pay? They take a penalty. We go on the power play. We score a goal. So I think they're in the head of Minnesota in terms of how they're going to play the Blues because I think Minnesota's going to have to be a lot more disciplined going up against St. Louis, keeping it at five on five. And frankly, that's an advantage for St. Louis because if the physical play is gone from Minnesota, they can't be themselves. Yeah, and, and if, if the Blues do win game two, that's when all that second-guessing really does come in because, then, like you mentioned, BK, you got to figure out something in goal. You don't have the matchups in favor of you. And honestly, now they may even be talking about, okay, we kind of have to get away from our game or at least be disciplined more than we were last night because of what you just mentioned, Alex. The Blues' power play, I, I still believe this is going to be the thing that is going to determine who wins this series because Minnesota's terrible on the penalty kill. And their head coach even said it last night. He goes, yeah, we're not very good at that. No, we're not good. And, and, <laughs> so this has been our season yeah <laughs> we suck and, and the blues took advantage of it last night so if the wild are going to try playing that physical brand of hockey but they're not disciplined the blues are just going to take advantage of it I, I agree with both of you guys i i don't think the blues have quote-unquote broken the wild yet 
But I think if they can steal game two and come back home with a 2-0 series lead, Minnesota's really going to be having that mental struggle of, we just cannot seem to beat this team ever since Craig Berube took over as head coach. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues back in action tomorrow. Alex will have once again an extended Blues playoff preview show tomorrow night from 6 to 7.30. Then pregame, I believe Carriker and Smallman are going to be in for that one in the extended playoff preview show. And then the pregame as well. That will begin at 7.30. Puck drop, of course, with Joey in Curbs tomorrow night at 8.30 for Game 2 as the Blues look to go up 2-0 in this series against the Minnesota Wild. We'll break it all down. What we saw last night, what we can expect for Game 2 with Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We're talking to Danny Mack coming up in the uh, 1 o'clock hour. But next... I'm going to flip this Cardinals offense conversation on its head. I know they're not hitting yet. I understand. Can you imagine when they do, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. Swinging the bat, it's Goldie. The 0-2 out to deep left. 1-0 St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt, home run number two. And the Cardinals jump on top early. Oh, that's what it sounded like yesterday. The only highlight from the game is the Cardinals win one to nothing at home in game one of this series against the Kansas City Royals. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex. I'm going to walk down a path with you, if you don't mind. I'd prefer not to go with you, but all right. Because I have seen a lot, and understandably so, of unease from Cardinals fans. If you go over to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website, Ben Fredrickson wrote today about how the offense has not lived up to expectations this year. That is very much true. Right now, they're 16th in the in the league in Major League Baseball in batting average. They are 17th in on-base percentage, and they are now 19th in slugging percentage. They are bottom half of the league in every offensive statistical category that you could possibly ask for. Let me flip that conversation on its head, though. Oh, well, ooh. They're one of the best base-running teams in baseball. They have been excellent at pitching so far this year, both in the rotation and also in the bullpen. Pitchers don't hit anymore. Their defense is probably the best in the league. Can you imagine what this team is going to look like when they do start hitting? Because, Alex, when I look at this team and I look up and down this lineup, I see a 185 batting average with no power so far from Tyler O'Neill. I see Corey Dickerson batting 185. I see Dylan Carlson batting 181. I see Paul Goldschmidt, who has not yet started slugging, although yesterday a good sign in the right direction of him hitting that home run. This team is clearly not hitting on all cylinders right now at the plate. They're going to eventually. And when they do... I don't know if it's going to be a 17-game winning streak like we saw last year. That is unbelievably high expectation, something we had really never seen before from the Cardinals. But they're going to go on a run. They're going to have a stretch where they win 15 out of 20 games because they continue pitching this way. They have great defense. They're going to continue the base running. The piece that's missing from the puzzle right now is the power. They just haven't shown that yet, and I do believe that is going to come. And when it does, you're seeing right now the basis for what this team can be at its worst. Whenever that offense gets added to as a supplemental element, man, this is a really good baseball team. Right now, they're like two and a half games back of the best teams in the National League, and they haven't hit yet this year. 
I feel like that's a really positive thing, although I do understand there are some concerns about the offense as a whole. I do think this team's going to start hitting, and when they do, they're going to be right up there at the top of the league once again. I I, I see where you're coming from. I get the excitement, mm-hmm. but, but what you're if, wrong. But you're wrong. <laughs> but what if they don't start hitting, BK? I, dude, let's go through this real quick. Did you just dude me? No, I I just it, had, it was more of like I from stammered like the turtle from Finding Nemo, dude. <laughs> Do you guys Disney think reference. that Dylan Carlson is going to finish the season with a 485 OPS and a negative wins above replacement? No, but I don't know if he'll get back to where he was last year. Yeah, I he doesn't think. have a barreled ball yet, which is look at his numbers from concerned. last year. He also was not good with any of the batted ball metrics a year ago. He's just a really solid hitter. He's not a guy that's ever going to impress you. Really a streaky hitter. I get it, but he looks lost right now that's Absolutely. the thing with dylan he carlson. Looked lost two years ago eventually it came around but you're not getting like four months of consistency from dylan carlson you're getting maybe a month of it and then a month you go silent and then a month like you're getting inconsistency with absolutely. that absolutely but eventually you're going to see something that is better than what you're watching right now this is the worst case scenario for dylan carlson it's not going to get worse he's batting 181 there's not a whole lot of places this can go but up from that's here what we said about matt carpenter well matt carpenter was just done Tyler O'Neill, do you guys think wrong. he is going to bat 170 all season long with a 495 OPS and again a negative wins above replacement? You no. guys foresee that? No. No, but I don't know if he gets back to last year's level either. I don't know if he's that, an, I don't know if he's an the MVP. One that's really the the key for me. Corey Dickerson, do you think he's going to bat 185 all season with uh, a maybe, 445 maybe. OPS and a negative 0.3? Yeah. wins above replacement. That might that might be a thing. There, that's possible. That, that might be a thing. These guys are eventually going to start hitting. But see, that's the thing. You're only tying it to two guys. The I issue- mean, two huge pieces at the top of your order. Absolutely. And the left-handed bat that is batting DH for you, that is fifth in your order. Three of your top five guys in your batting order right now are not hitting. And by the way, I didn't mention Paul Goldschmidt, who so far this year has not hit for any power, and we all believe that's going to come around for him at some point. But but it goes beyond that, too, though. Like, you don't have a bottom of the batting order right now, which is hurting this team. You're relying solely on one through five, and right now, you're relying on Nolan Arenado to be that guy for you and Tommy Edmond, and you're hoping Carlson and O'Neill come around. But what happens? I'm not hoping. I'm believing. I know they're going to come around. What happens I think when maybe they come that's ar- where the split is? What happens when they come around and then something else drops off? Well, I, I mean that's that's how this works, right? Like we saw it with the with the Blues this year. The depth of scoring. The reason why it was important is because when you have Ivan Barbashev go through a slump. Braden Shin is starting to play well again. When early on in the season, Robert Thomas had like three goals through the first 35 games. You had Jordan Cairo going through his hot streak. That's what it takes. You've got to have guys. You're always going to have somebody that's slumping. There's almost never a time in any lineup where there's not at least one, maybe two guys that are going through a slump. But you got to get guys who are who can step up when the other ones are slumping. And the problem and right now is everyone's slumping and there's only one guy that's hitting for you. Nobody else is stepping up. And this is the worst case scenario. Your lineup's not going to look a whole lot worse at any point this year than what it is right now. And this is why, like, I understand I'm going to get called a homer from everybody on the text line right now. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, that's fine. You're 13 and nine right now, despite the fact that you've had two guys that have hit so far this year Two. That's it. And Nolan Arenado has been special. He was just named the National League Player of the Month for a reason. As of today, if you were making a list and it's way too early to do this, but of the top MVP candidates in the National League, Nolan Arenado is at or near the top of any of those lists for you because of how great he has been. He's probably going to take a step back. It's really hard to sustain this level of play. But as he does, he's still going to be very good. 
and the rest of your lineup, you would expect three, four, five different guys to start hitting at a higher level than what they've been so far this year. And if this is what the worst case scenario looks like for your offense, you have now seen the baseline of, okay, at least we've got really solid pitching, which can help us stabilize this thing. We've got excellent defense, which helps that pitching play up even more. The base running is something that we've seen even take a step forward over the last couple of weeks. It was one of my concerns coming into the year. Does that take a step back with Mike Schilt not here? No, it's been better than it was last year. And you've also got a team right now that when they do start hitting, I think you're going to see them go on a run as a result of that. So I've seen a baseline for what a very good baseball team should look like. And now it's just a matter of it coming together at the plate, which I genuinely believe will happen. I I think the other thing that reminds me of this is we had the same conversation all last year, and it didn't pick up until September when things turned things around. You can go, well, yeah, they went on a 17-game winning streak and they got to the postseason, but that's not going to happen again. Let's be honest. Everybody in the lineup got hot at the same time. This team was able to go on a run, and they had stabilized pitching. They've got the stabilized pitching, and I don't know if the lineup's going to get as hot as it did in September. I never saw the pieces get put together throughout the season last year until we got to that September run. And that's my Yeah, that's my fear this season because I thought, look, the pitching was bad in June, and that was part of the issue, but let's don't forget the offense struggled in June as well. Everything went wrong in June for this team. Offensively, they were okay, and you never really saw them really have that outburst until September. And that's what I feel like we're having the same conversation now. Well, well just imagine when it occurs. I said that all of last year and almost lost patience, and then we went, they went on the run in September. It almost feels like the same story that we're having this year of okay, well, imagine when they start hitting. Okay, I can imagine it, but it's going to come down to are they actually going to do what I'm thinking they're what you're talking about, BK? Because I have some concerned of Dylan Carlson. I believe Tyler O'Neill is going to be getting closer back towards that level of last year. Dylan Carlson, I don't know yet. Dylan Carlson is a bit worrisome for me. So I, I don't know if this offense is going to get to the level that we're imagining because it's easy to say when that offense gets to that level, this team is going to go winning. I said that a lot last year, and I never felt like the offense ever reached the level that we were expecting it to until the run in September. Yeah, maybe. I just I, I think that we overestimated how bad the offense was because the pitching is what broke. The pitching is what t- uh, <clears throat> prevented you from winning in June. It, it was at such a horrible level in that stretch. It didn't really matter what your offense was doing. Like I remember that series out in L.A. when Jack Flaherty went down and you were just chasing every single day. You lost today and tomorrow based on what your bullpen was asked to do. And your offense, I think, just it, there, there was nothing they were going to be able to do uh, to overcome that. For what it's worth last year, from the beginning of the season all the way through um, like the early August range, the Cardinals weren't necessarily a bad offense. They were kind of middle of the pack. So I, I think that's a little different than what we're watching this year, where uh, you can make a pretty strong argument that the Cardinals are a bad offense. So I I think they were undervalued maybe a little bit offensively last year. I, I see where you're getting at with this, though, because if this is the worst they are, they're still finding ways to win games. But I also look at the talent that they've gone up against in terms of the opposition. And I just it does if the hitting's not coming through when they take on the Dodgers and the Padres or like we saw against the Mets, are they able to pull out victories? And that, I guess, is the biggest question right now. But you are right. It can't continue on this pace. And if it does, that's a massive like we won't be talking about playoffs if this continues. If Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson continue to hit this way. I mean, we're going to be talking about much bigger issues. Exactly. If, if they if those guys don't start because hitting, the if, core of your team is is possibly yeah, ruined. Right. Mm-hmm. If Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, if we're out on them as players and I'm not, by the way. 
then that's a much bigger conversation about, hey, the Cardinals are in a terrible place once again. They bet on the wrong pony. Like the, that That's what we're going to be talking about if those guys don't start hitting. And so that, that's why right now, like, I just can't get myself to be there after a month of them being bad at the plate. So I, I think that what we're watching right now is the worst case scenario for your lineup. There's going to be at least one guy all season long that is hitting. And you're watching that right now with Nolan Arenado. And you could say you could say two because Tommy Edmonds been really good mm-hmm. so far this year as well. I think as we go here, as, as you go along, you're going to start seeing more guys <clears throat> added to that mix. And when they do. Uh, I mean, you've got two more against Kansas City. I would imagine they're going to start looking a little better against this pitching that you're about to see. You've got Baltimore coming up. And then once you get into like late May, early June, the schedule starts to open up a little better when it comes to the pitching that you're going to see. So I think this offense is going to get better. And when they do, whoo, buddy, <laughs> I can't wait for you guys to join my side of this argument. It's going to be so great. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. Questions and answers in 15 minutes. Jeremy Rutherford joins us next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. A satisfied customer from the 314. I'm sorry for Alex and uh, Tanner. They have to sit here and listen to BK talk about Imagine this Cardinals team headed for the fact that you have what? This is not English. Here we go. It's been three or four seasons. You are BK right, needs a show with Brad Thompson. <clears throat> it needs to be named show called idiots talking together because <laughs> they both tell us things like we are stupid and not watching the games ourselves. They're just soft media talking about the same. <laughs> That's all right. Cardinals. T-Bone and I will start a radio show called ass hats, not assets. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to listen. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Appreciate you guys for tuning in today. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford live from Minnesota, where the Blues are having morning skate. Uh, JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Actually, at Excel Energy uh, Center today, uh, the Blues are going to have a noon meeting followed by uh, some availability, and uh, several of the players just walked by me and by the looks on their faces, you wouldn't know that they beat the Minnesota Wild 4 nothing in game one last night. It looked like they were all walking uh, to go hang out with Tanner somewhere or something, you know, just kind of uh, straight-faced and uh, not looking like they just came off a big win. That's usually how Tanner looks, straight-faced and walking around, not like he's excited or anything like that. It's probably like Alex. They just haven't had their morning coffee yet. That's very true. That's coffee sets it. in and then the midday nap, which I never get anymore. Well, JR, uh, the, the the topic around Blues fans and probably the National Hockey League from everything I've been seeing is the Jared Spurgeon non-discipline where he's getting fined $5,000, but if you missed it, he kind of took a cross-check to Pavel Buchnevich's ankle in the third period period. I'm a little surprised, JR, that there was no suspension that was involved with this. And I understand the rebuttal of, well, he didn't get kicked out of the game and it was the end of the game. But man, that was an intent to injure and it was the captain of the team. Yeah, it definitely was. And it could have been a a bad situation. It really could have. And that was a pretty good shot to the back of the legs and you never know what's going to happen, you know, with something like that. I I was kind of getting word last night that uh, there probably wouldn't be a suspension you know, I don't know if it's so much based on Spurgeon's uh, lack of history with, with stuff like that. He, he's uh, typically a guy who's up for the Lady Bing Award for gentleman conduct. I don't think he'll be up for that award anymore if if people saw that. But uh, you know, I probably I think that it probably could have been a suspendable uh, offense. Uh, do you give him a game? 
perhaps pretty steep in the postseason, but just think he could have knocked uh, Buchnevich out for a couple games, if not longer. So, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, just a fine. And you know, I don't get it. I mean, does that show that a Blues player could go out there tomorrow night and do the same thing? And it's just a fine. It just doesn't seem like a good precedent. Well, and that just kind of, kind of ties into what you just said about the players. And you know, even post game last night, hearing Craig Berube talk about the cross check, just basically stating like, "Look, that's that's playoff hockey. This is how it goes." Like when they have that level mindset where nothing seems to phase them, that's when the Blues seem to be at most dangerous. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Alex. And, uh, you know, we might get some reaction from them here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, probably not. If you're Craig Bruby, you probably just tell the players, hey, don't worry about it, move on, we got the win. So, you know, if that's what the Blues fans and and everybody's talking about, you know, after a big win like that, you know, typical Craig Bruby, he's just going to say, you know, let's move on. So uh, a big win, he's got to be really happy with the way the team played in all the different areas. Especially with Ville Husso's performance last night, JR, and that's what I wanted to get to with you next. We all had our questions about, hey, you know, it's, it's a new stage for him. He hasn't been in this situation before in a playoff game on the road, raucous environment. They had to be thrilled with what they saw out of Ville Husso last night. Yeah, I gave myself a 50-50 chance. I was sitting with Curbs in the lower bowl yesterday during practice, and we watched Husso come out on the ice, and I said, hey, Curbs, he's either going to stand on his head or he's going to get uh, yanked for game three. And, wow, last night, it's only one game, uh, but he really stood on his head. How about that? I mean, you go in there, and I think the team's really comfortable, confident with the way he's played. They, you know you're going to get a good effort, even though it's the playoffs and he's never done it before. But some of those saves that he made, and it's a 4 nothing game, but early on he made a couple big ones, especially on the penalty kill. That penalty kill's been so uh, well, so good, guys, you know that. Uh, but 6-for-6 six six last night, and as the old cliche goes, your goalie's got to be your best uh, penalty killer, and Billy Husso was last night, I thought. So uh, he was just terrific. It, it's, a, it's a great sign for the Blues moving forward in this postseason that any jitters, any nervousness he's got is behind them now. And it wasn't just him too, though, JR. Like, like he made some big-time saves for the team, which was impactful, but I really thought the defense had a really solid performance other than the power play. And I understand that they gave up 37 shots on goal, but I think 11 of those 37 came on the power play, and then you add three or four that came at four-on-four. Four. I thought the defense did a really decent job of keeping Minnesota to the outside rather than clogging the the middle of the lane in front of Ville Husso. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They allowed him to see a lot of pucks. I got some video that I'll have in a story tomorrow, and that did catch my eye, Alex. You know, I'm watching this video, and you can see the the, the lanes, the clear lanes, so Ville Husso could see. You know, the D was doing their job. You know, they were they were breaking things up, and I thought, you know, with the way that the pairings changed last night because Scandella wasn't available, so you moved Nick Letty up with Colton Pareko. I thought those two were terrific. I just did some number crunching and uh, five on five, according to natural stat trick, you know, they gave up just uh, five even strength shots in the five minutes uh, that they played. So pretty good for that pairing. And then Krug and Falk, I mean, you knew going back to that pair, they were going to have the chemistry that they've showed. So, you know, I thought they were really good. And Craig Bruby said he liked Nico Mikola's game. Uh, I thought that uh, he played pretty well, you know, had a couple hiccups. You don't want to say that, uh, you know, a completely good game for him, but but uh, they liked his physicality. So I don't know what Scandella's uh, status is going to be for game two, but uh, it sure does sound like Craig Berube likes Mikula enough that he could be back in for that game. So overall, Alex, you're right. 
you know, Huso was great, but I thought the defense was outstanding. Jeremy Rutherford is the Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. He's at JP Rutherford. Joins us each and every Tuesday throughout the Blues season here on 101 ESPN. Uh, JR, I did want to ask you about the Blues depth of scoring, which we talked about all season long. But last night, I thought that's exactly what you wanted to see from it uh, once you get into the playoffs. The Wilds had a clear game plan of shutting down that Robert Thomas, Vladimir Tarasenko, Pavel Buchnevich line. They did that with the grief line, as they like to call it. I hate that name so much. Yeah, you but you see, <laughs> what, like Alex came up with it. <laughs> so no, mine are more creative, Jr. You know this. <laughs> but when they do that, what they expose them to, themselves to is what that Ryan O'Reilly line can potentially be offensively. Is is that what you saw last night? Is the Blues being able to take advantage of some of those matchups because of their depth? Definitely. And this is two prong. This is two prong. So they got the grief line out against the uh, Thomas line, which is of course what they're going to do matchup wise heading into the games here in Minnesota. And while that line didn't do a lot offensively, what they did do, uh, Greenway took two penalties against that line. And so what happens there is that the blues go on the power play and they got two power play goals from David Perron as a result of those Greenway penalties. So that's one aspect of it. And then the other thing, like you said, BK is, you know, it frees up uh, O'Reilly, Saad, and Perron, and uh, O'Reilly got the big goal last night. And that uh, that line has really come alive offensively. And, you know, nobody's saying that that line's going to help carry the team through the playoffs. But when you're talking about five goals in the last three games from Ryan O'Reilly, and uh, although Perron's offense has come lately on the power play, especially from last night, you know, those guys are humming. And, and so I think, uh, you know, you, you like what the Thomas line does, certainly, uh, if uh, Shen and, and Kairou and uh, Barbashev can get going, you certainly like that group. But gosh, if, if that O'Reilly line is humming too, you're really talking about the, the, the balance that we've been building up for months and months. Jared, what's going to be the key to this game too? Uh, Marcus Foligno had a really interesting comment last night basically saying like, look, we won game one last year in the first round and then we proceeded to lose the next four and got booted in that series that they had against Vegas. Obviously, this series is not over, but... What are you anticipating just from Minnesota's side going into game number two? Well, I, I'm expecting a better performance, obviously. I expected it last night. You know, we talked uh, going into game one about Minnesota probably being more physical. And, you know, yeah, there were moments, but I didn't think they were as physical and take advantage of that as, as they could. And they definitely have to stay out of the penalty box. I mean, the Blues don't need five or six chances. They need two or three, and they can score a couple power play goals. So they're going to have to be more disciplined. I felt like uh, Greenway taking those penalties. You know, they were unnecessary penalties to take. So, you know, I think they'll regroup. But but also, uh, you know, let's look at uh, the goaltending. We a lot of talk about Billy Husso yeah. here. Uh, Minnesota ha- has the experience, right, with the three cups with Andre Fleury. And he comes out last night. And, you know, I don't know that you pin a lot of those on, on him. Again, a couple of them were power play goals. But he's the type of guy, well, you know, if, if he's got the experience, he's got the cup experience, and he's supposed to win a matchup against Billy Huso, Minnesota's going to need that. If not, they're going to have to turn to, to Cam Talbot. So, you know, obviously, game two, after you lose game one, more energy. You know, everything's going to be uh, pumped up tomorrow for Minnesota. But they're going to have to uh, play better than they did in game one. JR, I was trying to find the quote earlier today that you tweeted out last <laughs> night about the fourth line. It doesn't exist. It was really interesting uh, what Craig Berube said about them. They didn't play a ton, uh, but he seemed to really like what he got out of the fourth line last night. What did Berube say about them? Yeah, uh, what it was, and, and I uh, agreed with him there, was 
there were a lot of penalties in the game, right? And so there's a lot of special teams, and that line doesn't get to come on the ice uh, special teams except for, for Bozak. Uh, so Torpchenko sitting, Nathan Walker sitting. Uh, but after those penalty kills were over, that line went out a lot. And what Craig Bruby was saying is he felt like they really settled the game down. They, they got some offensive zone time, and they just made simple plays like that line uh, can do. And I think that settles it down, and then you kind of get it back into a 5-5. Five and five. So, you know, there was a lot of disruption last night, and what he was saying is that he felt like they came in and, and settled it down. Now, you're right, they only played Torpchenko and, and Walker only played about seven minutes apiece, and, you know, not a ton of hitting. Um, so I, I think they played well, but I also think there's an element, BK, of, of Craig Bruby trying to pump that group up and, mm. you know, get that get that comment out there because they're really going to need that fourth line, especially in this series, I think. And I think Craig Bruby wants them to feel good about themselves. Anything else you saw last night, Jared, that we didn't ask about that stood out to you? No, I think we covered a lot. I mean, you got the, the PK to me is the biggest thing. You know, there's not going to be a lot of special teams. You know, we say that going into a series and then you have a game like last <laughs> night and, 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 and there is. So you're going to need that PK and, and, and look, that's great. And then the, the, the power play, you know, the best in the road all season long during the regular season, about 29%. They come through last night. I mean, that prime goal, what was it? The third one came two seconds after the power play ended. So essentially, you know, they had three last night. So I guess the biggest takeaway for me is that uh, the blue state composed and, and they played, uh, you know, the style of game that they need to play against Minnesota. That's the biggest thing you get into the postseason, You kind of don't know what to expect, but if you can just watch one game and get a feel for how this team is going to respond, I felt like you couldn't have drawn it up any better for the blues. It's Jeremy Rutherford. Be sure to subscribe to the athletic. You'll get his great work. Of course, you'll be able to read Katie Wu's work on the athletic as well. We always, appreciate the time jr enjoy yourself today up in minnesota we'll talk with you again soon man all right thanks boys absolutely that's jeremy rutherford joining us here on 101 espn 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers here in just a minute but alex the 636 has a suggestion for the sod o'reilly and perron line oh let's let's hear it the aa ron that's bad that's worse than mine sod aa o'reilly perron Owen? No, I got it. It doesn't, just was bad. Doesn't the grief the line A-A-Ron. fit with the Ron. first letters of their names? Line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. You go so with the first letters of their name. Sorry, you can't just pick and choose letters in a name. Thomas Sankvich is a perfect name it's for a line. so terrible. It is not. That's terrible. I it's, like the A-A-Ron line a little better. You can't just, oh, we're going to pick the middle letters of the last names and make it work. It's got to be the first letters of the name. I don't know. I think this works. Dude, you would pick that as a na- nickname you like going into it. Coming up in 10 minutes, we just watched what the Blues scoring depth means in the playoffs. We'll get into that and explain what it could mean in game two. But next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Act Slide. We'll start with this one from the 618. Guys, why is everybody always so mean to BK? I don't I didn't really like him at first either, but he kind of grew on me over time. And I promise this is not BK's mother texting in. Yeah, okay. That's his mom texting. Thanks, Mom. Him. Appreciate the text. It's really mom. kind of you. I don't think we're mean to BK. I think we're just brutally honest. Yeah. I'm trying to and make you a better man. 
sometimes the truth hurts. Just trying to make me into a man. There's nothing about being better. <laughs> well, just we, a man. Jamie Rivers tried that and it didn't work. Tried to get you to learn to change a tire and you refused. Oh, yeah. I've still got AAA, man. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service X line for questions and answers. <laughs> Guys, did you see this piece over on ESPN.com ranking the top 50 players in the NHL playoffs this year? Was this a Dom? Oh, no, this Dom's on the athletic. Yeah, it's I don't read ESPN his articles. Staff. Our boy Greg. Oh, it's just the staff. I would imagine Greg oh, is probably Greg. a part of this. Probably Greg well, and Lee Kaplan. It's got to treat the Blues pretty well then because Greg Greg's told us that he believes in the Blues. How many Blues would you guess are in the top 40? 10. Well, no, that's too many. Five. I'll say five. Yeah. Five's a good number. Five Blues in the top 40. This is every team's players. In the NHL playoffs. Well, well, BK, there's only 16 teams in the playoffs. Yeah, for you to get five of them is pretty wild, right? Not really. Okay. It wouldn't be wild. It would be the Blues. Okay. Uh, There's one. There's one to answer my own question. It's not one. It's Robert Thomas. Uh, He came in at number 39 among the 50 best players in the NHL playoffs. The only (laughs) other players that the Blues had on this list. Ryan O'Reilly at 41. Pablo Buchnevich at 45. Jordan Cairo at 46. No Vladimir Tarasenko among the top 50 NHL players in the playoffs. For what it's worth, the only two players from Minnesota that made this list were Kirill Kaprizov at number 15 and Marc-Andre Fleury at number 48. Kaprizov, the only skater that made the top 50. Is that surprising to you? A little bit because, I mean, just... I mean, I guess he's had the experience. He did win a Stanley Cup, but it's not like he puts up the points. I can understand the Vladimir Tarasenko thing not being that high because he's he hasn't been healthy in the last two playoffs for the Blues, so he hasn't been himself. So it would be hard to put him in this year's top playoff performer. But honestly, like I feel like Ryan O'Reilly should be at the top of that list because he or David Perron should be because when they play in the playoffs, they're usually the top performer. So I'm a little surprised that Robert Thomas is up there and not somebody else who has a little bit more consistency. Yeah, I'm shocked. Vladdy's not on it. I get what you're saying with the hasn't played the last two playoff runs. But I mean, he was awesome in the regular season. He had more points than all four of those guys that are on the list. And that's not a shot against those four. Vladdy just had an incredible season. He had 82 points. The fact that he's not on this list is a little shocking to me because I get it. Hasn't played in the playoffs. But we know what he's like in the playoffs when he's healthy. He's a very he's a contributor to the Blues, so I'm shocked he's not there. Kaprizov being the only like wild scare that doesn't surprise me at all because to me he's really the only big name that you know. Uh, I I tend to agree with you guys. I, I I gotta say I was a little surprised by it because like if you were going through and ranking all of the players in this series, I assumed there would be more than one wild player in the top like six or seven of the conversation. <clears throat> I do think it speaks to what we've been talking about though that. The Blues are just a deeper team than the Wild. They've got the game breakers that could potentially win this series. Going in, I thought if the Wild win, it's got to be because Kirill Kaprizov is great. He goes off. And then Marc-Andre Fleury stands on his head. That was the formula for them to be able to win this series. I think the Blues have a, a lot more ways they can win than the Wild do. Especially for what JR just mentioned to us a little bit ago about that Pareko and Letty pairing. Yeah. They matched up against Kaprizov's line. He had zero shots on goal at even strength. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 636. Guys, how many cups of coffee or energy drinks have you had so far after the late night breaking down the Blues game? Sadly, only two. Yeah, I was going to say, I've had two. Just um, one for your boy. But last night, I, I think I had three yesterday. Really? Yeah, well, four, because I had one in the morning when I was driving here and then when i got here i think i had three before we went on the air so 
I was pretty wired. Before the day ends today, I'll probably have like six cups of coffee. I, I see. I can't do energy drinks though. Like I used to be able to pound them and it'd be like it would work. But now I get a headache. You know I'm all about Such that natural energy with this of juice. Of course, Juice Boy over here is he's covered. He's got his kale <laughs> and garlic and vinegar the drink he, that he drinks. People couldn't see BK's face, but the way like how happy he was when he like held <laughs> like, up his how, juice. How are we not to, supposed juice. to treat him poorly? Cucumber, when he holds celery, up his juice. grapefruit, green shard, lettuce, and kale. What a, like, what how a do wonderful we day this is gonna make be. him feel bad about himself. Uh final thing here from the 417. <laughs> BK, do you know what the date is in which which the Super 2 status changes for Nolan Gorman, so we don't have to worry about the service time manipulation any longer. Uh, from what I understand, that's really not an issue for them with him this year. So it's past too, right? Yeah, if they want to call him up, this is not about service time. For what it's worth, the Cardinals really don't do that. I mean, you, you can argue maybe they should, but they've never really been a team that worries about that service time manipulation because they're pretty good at signing these guys early anyways when they want to extend them. I can't think of a prospect at least the one that comes to mind where i go he was clearly ready out of spring training and then they didn't call him up because of manipulate like the chris bryant one is the obvious one that yeah. what the cubs did i can't think of one that the cardinals have done like nolan gorman it's not like he tore the cover off the ball in spring he struggled went down to memphis and i believe the super two passes i think it i could be wrong but i want to say it's like after the first two weeks of the season it's not a very big uh time stretch so i believe that's passed already yeah it's just I, that's not something I would worry about. They're not bringing him up because they want to figure out what to do with Paul Young. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on today. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of bet it or forget it. But next, we just saw in a playoff game what the Blues' depth of scoring means and how it can be a nightmare for opposing teams to try to defend. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to O'Reilly, shot on, rebound, they score! David Perron, over to Shin, to Sot, to Perron, he scores! David Perron, his second power play goal of the game. They pass it, Krug with a shot, Perron, he scores! If you've got a hat, chuck it at your radio. It's a postseason hat trick for David Perron. An even strength goal at 7.26 makes it 4 nothing. St. Louis. It's cleared down the ice. That'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. A playoff hat trick for David Perron and a shutout for Billy Husso in his first career playoff game. And the St. Louis Blues take game number one, 4 to nothing, at the XL Energy Center. That's what it sounded like right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN last night as the Blues win game one against Minnesota and reclaim home ice advantage. They stole it away from the wild after the first game of this series. And that is what the depth of scoring looks like, Alex. When you go into a series and your opponent in the Minnesota wild clearly had a game plan coming in of we are going to shut down the Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, Vladimir Tarasenko line. We're going to put our best defensive forward group against them with that quote-unquote grief line didn't see a whole lot of grief last night that group did their job for what it's worth they did a really good job against uh, Robert Thomas's line but you can take away one line from this team you cannot take away the entire top nine 
And what you saw last night was O'Reilly, Perron, and Brandon Saad. We both mentioned it, Alex, in the pregame show yesterday. That was, if you want to call it an X factor or the group that's going to have to step up, whatever you want to label it, they did that in a huge way. Brandon saw it on one of the power play goals, was right there backing it up in case, I think it was uh, Ryan O'Reilly wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Perron, obviously an outstanding night with a hat trick in that game. That's the line that ended up coming through. And now if you're the Minnesota Wild, you go into game two wondering, do we need to switch this up? Or are we happy with the way that that went? That is what the depth of scoring is for. I saw a lot of grief for that line in the penalty box while the Blues scored power play goals. Huh? Uh, up top. Up top. Got it. You, yep. BK, you're on board with this one. I, I said this post game with you guys last night. Like that to me was a perfect example of experience versus inexperience in the playoffs because the Blues knew how to deal with adversity. Minnesota didn't. I was really curious what happens when you take away their top line because, yeah, they've got the grief line with Greenway and Erickson Eck and Felino that can eliminate other teams' top lines. But. Have they had that happen to them? Because that grief line doesn't score an awful lot. They're more of a defensive-minded line. That gives them two other. Fourth line doesn't really create a whole lot of offense either. So it comes down to Kaprizov and Hartman, and it comes down to Fiala and uh, Goudreau. Like, that's their two other lines. But it's inconsistent for the Fiala and Goudreau line. And in uh, the, the Hartman and Kaprizov line, that's where their offense comes from. But the Blues took that away from them. So basically, they did what Minnesota did to the Blues in terms of eliminate that top line. But the Blues could say, that's fine. We'll beat you with another way. And I think that's where it really comes down to being impactful for a seven-game series. Because you're right, BK. Minnesota's going to have to look at this now and say, do we take the grief line off of Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich and say, now we got to defend Ryan O'Reilly's line. But if you do... The other mismatch is going to come on the defensive woes taking on that Thomas line. And we're not even talking about Shannon Barbashev's line that is going to get mismatch opportunities at once. I think that was a huge chess match moment for Craig Berube and the coaching staff last night. Because now they know what Minnesota wants to do. And the Blues can say, okay, we're going to counteract that because guess what? You've got to come play two games in St. Louis where we get that final change. And that is an advantage for St. Louis, I think, after game one. It kind of reminds me of what teams had to do last year against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs where you want to take away Jamar Chase. All right, that's fine. We'll let you take that away. But we've got a couple other receivers that can do a pretty darn good job as well. So you could double team Jamar Chase and maybe you take him out of our game plan. And maybe you're also able to take out uh, Tyler Boyd across the middle. You put a really good slot corner there. We're going to go to the other side. we got another stud receiver over here that's going to be able to win. And if you take a guy out of the box to be able to take care of those wide receivers, now we're just going to run it down your throat and we've got a great running game that we can lean on. That's basically what the Blues have right now. If you want to go with that grief line against the Robert Thomas line, great, fine, okay. Maybe that Robert Thomas line, their goal now, like you saw last night, is to take some penalties. And they did a really good job of that. Took a couple of them, and that set the Blues up on the power play. But if you do that and you take them away... Now what are you doing to be able to uh, line up against the Ryan O'Reilly line and the Braden Shin line? And I think if I had to make a prediction today, I think they're going to do the same thing. I think they'll say to themselves, you know what? We're happy with the way that we played against that Robert Thomas line, and we believe that they are the most lethal line that can beat us game to game. We think in terms of game one to seven, potentially in this series, the line we have to shut down. We just cannot let them beat us is that Thomas line. They have been the best producing line so far this year for the Blues. 
If it's Ryan O'Reilly's line, they'll beat us and so be it. And I think they'll stick with that game plan going into game two. And I think that's the right decision, honestly. But this is why when you have the nine 20 plus goal scores, this is how it shows itself in a playoff series. And there were some questions about, do you have a bunch of guys that are solid, but nobody that you can really go to? Or is this really like the best of both worlds for the Blues? I think it's the latter. I think you saw in game one why it's important to have so many guys that can contribute offensively. Yeah, I'm with you. The reason you can have all these, the reason for the success is because you can just play that mismatch game. And I mean, that the fact that Minnesota Wild can't do that, it sets up so well for the St. Louis Blues. Alex, you brought it up. I mean, look, if they decide to go with the same game plan that you're mentioning, BK, and they struggle again in game two, I mean, Craig Brewey, I think he made a comment post game last night of, yeah, we kind of want to get that Thomas line away from the grief line. Well, when they come home, they can do that, and then they mm-hmm. can even exploit matchups even more. So the fact that the Blues have this depth of scoring, yeah, I, they have some guys that they can turn to if they need to to go get a goal like a David Perron or a Vladimir Tarasenko, but the fact that they can rely on all nine of these guys, and really the only guy that you really questioned coming into the series was Jordan Cairo, and I thought he played a fine game yeah. last night besides when he almost besides got the, the assist. Besides the Ryan Hartman. Uh, yeah, to the other team. I but, still can't believe that really happened. <laughs> he had to have bought a steak for Billy Huso after that game. But but the fact that you have all those nine guys that you can trust to go out there and make something happen. Alex, you were talking about this. I think the moment, the first moment we heard that it was going to be Blues and Wild when it got locked up, you said, okay, now the Blues can start game planning mm-hmm. and figuring out what matchup they have the potential to exploit. They did it last night, and I, I expect them to continue to do it as well. I don't think the Minnesota Wild are going to have an answer for this Blues team and how deep this team is. Yeah, because I, I think the mismatch that Minnesota, or the, the match that Minnesota does not want they don't want Kaprizov going up against O'Reilly's line because that line is difficult to play against. David Perron is kind of a pain in the ass to go up against if you're the opposition, but they're also very lethal offensively, and they win a lot of face-offs. So, like, if I'm Dean Evans and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, how do we get our Kaprizov line away from Ryan O'Reilly? But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to focus on getting another line on them. And I think the mismatch truly comes into play. It's what I talked about a few weeks ago. That's where it comes into Shen Barbashev and Kairou. Yep. Because you're focusing on these two lines being impactful, and they're not talking as much about Shen, Kairou, and Barbashev after game one because the O'Reilly line killed you. And you know what the Thomas line can do to you. That's where the mismatch comes into play because then they're going to eliminate that. And what I think they don't want to happen is they don't want that that uh, Kevin Fiala, Frederick Goudreau line out there against a line that can't play defense because that's where the blues can say, okay, this is where we'll beat you. They won in two separate ways here. They won in a way where they said, let's see if Minnesota is going to come out and try and punch us. They did beat them on the power play. But then when they tried to get into the speed style, the blues said, we're going to beat you this way as well through the neutral zone. And they showcased that in that third period. Yeah, they can win in multiple different ways. And I think they put that on display last night. They put it on display, honestly, all season long. We talked about one decision that the wild are going to have to make after that first game. And that's what they decided to do with the grief line, who they match them up against in game two. The other big decision that the wild have to face going into game number two is what they do in net. Marc-Andre Fleury was not very good last night. Now, I think that his his defense kind of left him out to dry a couple of times. And when you take that many penalties and you're going up against this Blues power play, like, good luck. They, they just were playing a man short for way too much of that game. But Andre Marc-Andre Fleury also just didn't perform all that well. 
Do you think there's a chance we see Cam Talbot going into game number two, Alex? I don't think for game two. No, let me rephrase that. I I think there's a chance we could see Cam Talbot. But I think Minnesota is going to really try and avoid it because Cam Talbot got exposed by the Blues in the regular season. He lost all three games against the Blues this year, and they score a lot of goals on him. So I think that they're probably viewing it as maybe we do go to Cam Talbot here. But I don't know if you want to be so quick to pull the trigger. Not to compare it to baseball, but it's what Ali Marmol told us on Sunday about Paul DeYoung. You better be you better be sure you're correct when you make that decision. And if you go away from the guy that you traded for at the deadline who has won multiple Stanley Cups for a guy who has not won a Stanley Cup, then you better be damn sure that you're right on that one. Because as much as Marc-Andre Fleury was kind of floundering in net last night, he also saved their bacon a couple of times, too. So I think that if you see a goaltending change in for Minnesota, it comes in game three. If Marc-Andre Fleury looks bad again in game two. But if I'm Dean Evanson, I'm going right back to Marc-Andre Fleury because as as much as he gave up four goals, it was also the team in front of him that played poorly. So I, I, I wouldn't be so quick to pull the trigger on Marc-Andre Fleury yet. But the Blues have beaten both of these guys in their careers, So they've got their number on both. Yeah, if I'm the Wild, I would go back to Marc-Andre Fleury just because I think it shows second-guessing from the coaching staff if they end up going to Cam Talbot. It was a question mark of who they were going to go to. Were they going to go to Marc-Andre Fleury, who had similar numbers to Cam Talbot but had playoff success? Or were going to go to Cam Talbot, who had struggled against the Blues? They end up going with Marc-Andre Fleury. He doesn't look good. I think if they immediately pull the plug and go, oh, we got to go to Cam Talbot for Game 2, I think it shows a little bit of... Uh, just a lack of trust of what the Minnesota Wild coaching staff had in Mark on in their goalie situation as a whole. So I think they'll go to Mark Andre Fleury for Game Two. If he struggles again, then I think they'll go to Talbot for Game Three. I think I, we're all on the same page here. I, I think you probably go back to um, Mark Andre Fleury in Game Two. I think most of the the changes that we see in game planning from either side won't take place really until Game Three. They Game One was weird, man. Last night with the number of penalties that were called, I think both teams really kind of executed their game plan. And then it came down to the Blues just playing better within that respective game plan. They they took advantage of the power play opportunities that they had. And at five on five, I just thought they were better at executing. The Wild got a lot of shots on net. Mm-hmm. So it was just amazing. It, it was awesome last night. So if I'm Minnesota, if I'm in their coaching staff's shoes, I, I feel okay, actually, about where I'm at right now. And we just got to be able to convert on some of those chances and stop taking so many silly penalties in the game. And if you do that, I think they're they're probably going to feel better than right now we do in this room where we're all extremely confident where the Blues are right now. Real quick from the 618, goaltending changes aren't always based on goaltending. Sometimes it's used to uh, to light a spark for the rest of the team. That's true, but if I'm Minnesota, that's a spark that I am taking a massive gamble on to go to a Cam Talbot who has gotten exposed by the Blues in his career against also, St. Louis. I didn't think that they played with a lack of energy last no, night. They did exactly like, what they needed to do. The officials changed the outcome of that game. And, and for good reason. In a lot of ways, most of those calls were probably correct. They're all spot on, yeah. But I didn't think that the energy was a problem for them. Marc Andre Fleury just let in a few goals that you wouldn't. I personally was not expecting him to let in last night on the power play. They took too many penalties, and the Blues just flat out outplayed them, and they took advantage of their opportunities. So I didn't think they necessarily played a really poor game. The, the score certainly indicates that they did, but. Ville Husso playing as well as he did and standing on his head made the score look a lot more lopsided than the game actually was. So if, if I'm Minnesota, I, I actually feel okay today 
even if I'm feeling bad about the fact that you're down 1-0 in the series. I still like the Blues personally, though. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to get into one of those calls from last night at the very end of the game and what it did not lead to this morning. We'll get to the news from last night's game in 15 minutes. Better to forget it, though, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. I was a little late. Boy, we got the coffee from the break room. <laughs> I don't know what's in yours. Too. I poured a lot also, in there. I wanted to be known. Alex said he struggled to figure out how to work a coffee yeah. machine. No, came back, I, I asked for coffee. He no. came back. Uh, let, my cup's empty. Let, I couldn't figure out how to push a button. Let, no, it's not to push the There's damn three buttons. buttons. You no. press brew. No, it's not it. Pours you the, pour I don't drag. know what the out. measurement is. I Put didn't know if it was a full bag of coffee grounds or if it was a half bag of, cro- of coffee grounds. They had the bag already open, and I'm like, is it supposed to be a half? Let, let's and see so I poured the right half. Here. And then on top of a full bag into it. So I used a, a bag and a half of coffee grounds on yeah. this coffee. This smells strong. Now I, I know why. I just didn't know how much coffee because I usually use a scooper at home. So I know how many I use. You jerk. Yeah, well, at least I didn't run into a tree when I was I'll walking on the sidewalk. Not bad for Raise him. your hand Not if you've bad. ever had a food processor fall on your face. There I mean, we go. I don't even think I own one. <laughs> That, that, that would be me. Uh, I will take full responsibility for that. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Nolan Arenado wins the MVP this year. We have all placed a bet down on this. So bet it. it looks Some of us awesome. went big, big time roller on this one, though. Alex put a basically a month's yeah, worth he, of my salary he put a Benjamin on he, it he put his child's uh, college fund on the line Mr. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin believes that Nolan Arenado so will be the league's MVP your daughter's either going to the community college or she's going to Harvard well, considering that's 18 years from now I'm not too concerned about apparently that apparently Louie made coffee in our break room last week the Blues mascot who can't speak yeah made coffee in our break room and you couldn't. Has anybody tasted the coffee that Louie made? I did. It was pretty good. Yeah. He also ruined a segment on our show. So I'm a little... Oh. I'm, I'm in a fight with Louie right now. You ruined uh, eight more of them. So. Six, five, seven. Got him! Got him! Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. We're powering through this right now. Guys, bet it or forget it. Paul DeYoung will be traded by the end of the season. I'm going to yeah. forget this one because I don't know if somebody would trade for him. If you're hitting what this we have low. left on that deal now? Two more years? No. I think it's two more years, but what's the they're salary? club options, though, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think they're, they're gar- one more year guar- guaranteed after this year. And then one option? Two club options. So what's the money for months? next year? $9 million. Yeah, somebody might take that as a DA. What? But see, the thing is, like, you can't say, well, we'll trade for him, go for a DH unless you're just going change of scenery. And I don't know how much that impacts that. So I'm going to say I'm going to forget this one. I, I I wonder if he just becomes a bench bat for the Cardinals. I'm going to forget this because I think he'll just kind of get lost on the bench if he continues to struggle. I, I don't know if the Cardinals could trade him. I get that there's value in that deal. The problem is if he is continues there, to play the way that he's playing, 
it's going to be hard to convince somebody to take a flyer on him yeah. because it's three straight years that he hasn't hit. And, like, like you can say, okay, COVID 2020, the broken, what was it, rib 2021. So far, we haven't been able to find the excuse to what we're claiming he's not hitting for. So I, I, I'm going to forget this. I, I don't see a spot in which they can trade Paul DeYoung by the end of the year. That's really hard to imagine. I just don't know who's going to take him on. Like, you look around at some of the teams this is the conversation that we had last year when it came to some of the okay who are you who's going to add these short stops i just i don't see an obvious landing spot i think if you're looking for a team that would make some sense it's probably oakland but they're just oakland i wouldn't even worry they're shedding all of their salaries right now so i don't know if it makes sense for them but if you're if you're trying to think of what could be the trade that would make sense for both sides it's probably Paul DeYoung, maybe a guy like Newt Bar and Juan Yepes for Frankie Montes. See, like, I wouldn't even make that deal from Oakland. But see, like I, I I'm just, not taking on salary. That's I, the thing. I, 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 just, hear you. I went back and looked at this. So Aledmus Diaz, he was traded after the 2017 season, and he had a four-year deal, eight million dollars total. Yeah. See, that's the problem is you've got the money now that you got to deal with with the young. But that's where I'm going with it. Like Aledmus Diaz got traded for a minor leaguer. To Toronto, he and had a he, better value. He deal. had two fifty nine and had a six eighty two OPS, and he was coming off a year where he was fifth in rookie of the year voting. Then you got a minor leaguer for Aledmus Diaz, who was yeah. twenty six. Yeah, but he was. I think he's younger than DeYoung at that point too. I don't know how old DeYoung is. But right what I'm now. saying is, you couldn't get a value for that for a guy who was younger and who had a who had oh, a I, one okay. bad I see what, season. I see what you're saying now. You've got three seasons I, for he Paul. He wasn't as valued going into that year. Like he was a guy that was seen as kind of a utility he, infield. He wasn't very good defensively. So I think DeYoung, if DeYoung was on a $6 million deal next year as opposed to nine, I think you might be able to find a landing spot for him. So this might be a situation where the Cardinals just have to take on some of that money. And, and the similar other thing, to the, it's different because of the term, but similar to the Mike Leak deal that they made. The other thing too is if I'm another team, do I want a shortstop that has a has the track record of Paul DeYoung that has really struggled over the last three years? Or do I want someone that's in my system younger that I think has a ceiling and I can get away with him struggling? Yep. That's the thing. Is I think a lot of teams will go, I have someone in my system that's a younger shortstop. I'm going to see if I can just get him to reach that level. If you're looking for a place that might make some sense, I promise you I'm not saying this just because I'm they're the team that I grew up rooting for. I, I don't think that they should make this deal. But uh, the Royals just lost Adalberto Mondesi for the season with a torn ACL. He has the history with Mike Matheny. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. That that might be a team that actually makes some sense Did because they, they, they try to be competitive. I know they, they're terrible. Like, they're just a, a really bad didn't team. Didn't they just but. have a pitcher that we were talking about that really just didn't cut it for them? And I said he might make sense for the Cardinals. Was it Brady Singer? Yeah, Brady Singer's down back, back down in the minors. That might be so a So maybe you just do a one-for-one. One. But by then, you're still saying, okay, who's our shortstop then? And Ali Marmol has made it very clear Tommy Edmond is not going to be playing there. You want Edmundo Sosa there for the next 90 games? I Otherwise, think, I don't know who's going to be playing short. I think if they made a move like that, I bet you it would be a situation where they decide to move Tommy Edmund. Like that, that is what that move would indicate. They're, I don't think they're going to go with uh, Edmundo Sosa long-term. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Tyler O'Neill finishes this season closer to a 250 batting average and 15 home runs than he did last year with a close to a 300 batting average and 30 home runs. So he finishes closer to 250 and 15 than 330? Yeah. That would be a massive disappointment yeah. if he does. I'm not. I, I'm forgetting this. I think he... 
the average might be closer to 250. We said this last year. That's probably where he settles in over the course of his career. If he finishes with less than 20 home runs, something has gone horribly wrong for Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. He's still hitting the ball hard. Uh, that's where I would be. I'm going to forget this because I think he's going to finish with a better than 15 home runs, but I don't know if he's going to finish better than 270 batting totally average. So so I'm, I'm going to forget this one because I don't think it's going to be both of those. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I'm going to forget this too because I, I think about the 250 to 270 mark is where he is as a hitter. Uh, the home runs though, I, if he's at 15 home runs, something went wrong or he got hurt because he just has too much pure power to get past 15 and get closer to 30. I've said it once. I'll say it again. That ballpark can't contain that man. Now the baseball might be able to. Well, they're containing yeah. him right now. Uh, 65780 for service tax line for bet it or forget it. Better to forget it. The Blues cannot let Ville Husso walk at the end of the year after what he does in the playoffs, and they will decide to re-sign him. Ville Husso re-signed this offseason. I'm going to bet this one. I, I think they're looking at Ville Husso and the knowledge of the past of how he was on the depth chart above Jordan Bennington and they knew he would get to this point and he went through some injuries. I, I'm going to say I'm going to bet this one. I, I think if he puts a performance on like this, Doug Armstrong is going to look at it and say, man, I don't know if we can afford to let Ville Husso walk in this circumstance. And they see what's out there for a Jordan Bennington. I, I'm going to bet this one. I, I think Ville Husso might be viewed as the guy moving forward. I'm going to bet this too. We we talk about this, you know, I think this team is different from what that 19 cup run is. The goaltending situation is the one similarity that I see. Bennington comes up, takes the job, holds on to it, goes on an incredible run, wins the Stanley Cup. Billy Husso takes the job. We'll see if he goes on the incredible run, but his first playoff start was on the road just like Bennington's. Bennington was good. I think he stopped 24 of 25 shots at Winnipeg. Husso had the shutout, and Husso faced more shots too. So, there's very similar path from who. So I'm going to bet this. I think he's going to be the guy that they're going to lock up. Probably do like a two, three year deal. I don't think he's going to be that long of term of deal. It'll be the same I, as Bennington's bridge deal. Yeah. yeah I, I think the blues will sign him once the season comes to an end. We're all on the same page. We can go ahead and sweep this. I agree. I think that they get something done. I think it's a two year deal, probably four, four and a half million bucks, a couple of, a couple of years there. And then they're going to have to figure out, do we do this with Bennington still being here? Or is Bennington going to have to go elsewhere for us to be able to get something like this done? By the way, we are officially feuding as a show with Louie. He's tweeted us. What did he do? He said, ruined a segment or added some excitement to the show, BK. Hey, I'm supporting, seems a little bit harsh. I'm didn't supporting tag Louie on this one. Yeah, so he didn't tag me in it, so I'm supporting Louie on so this. You, you guys are just... yeah. Hey, you're on your own. I, I can't believe you're trying to fight Louie. No, I mean, I'll, I'll, back, I'll back you up there. Louie kind of ruined the segment. I like Louie. Actually, also Tanner ruined the segment because he allowed it. Yeah, really, it's Tanner's fault. Yeah, so like, I'm not even feuding with with Louis right now. Yeah. I'm feuding I with mean, Tanner. Tanner should know better. He's a pro by now. Yeah, he that's did blues pre and post last night. Like he's feuding a pro. With the damn mascot he coming up in 15 in minutes. We're diving into the junk drawer. But next, the late game excitement, uh, controversy, whatever you want to call it, it did not result in a suspension, mm. even though it really should have. We'll explain next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And 
course, the Blues win last night, but everyone's up in arms, BK, because of what Jared Spurgeon did in the third period. As Pavel Buchnevich bumps into Spurgeon, they both fall down. Spurgeon gets a little angry because I guess they were losing, and he cross-checks Pavel Buchnevich's ankle, which in all reality, he was trying to injure the guy. Yep. You're not going for a defenseless player in an area that doesn't have a whole lot of protection on it if you're not trying to hurt the individual. And uh, recently we found out that he will not be suspended. He is going to be fined $5,000 by the player safety but this was Jared Spurgeon's comments, uh, according to Michael Russo, who covers the Wild for the Athletic. It's something I'm not really proud of, something I don't usually do, and just got a little frustrated. I'm happy he's all right, but that's some sh- something I usually don't do, and I'm not the player or not the player that I am. So I'm not very happy with myself, to say the least. And I get where he's coming from because this guy has been a Lady Bing nominee in the past that gets the gentlemanly awards. Ryan O'Reilly's been up for it as well. He does not have a past history. He was not tossed in that game. So it was hard to imagine that they would have given him a suspension, but you can't be doing stuff like, like when you go for a guy's vulnerable spot, like they did with Pavel Buchnevich's ankle, that doesn't look good for the Minnesota wild. Yeah. I think he should have been suspended. Like, I, agree. I, I just disagree with the decision. I, I think this was, <laughs> Uh, it, this was intent to injure. If that is what the rule is going to say on the books, then you have to suspend somebody when that is what took place. I understand he doesn't have a history. I don't care, frankly. If you may, if you, if there's an act like this that is taking place, especially in the playoffs, uh, in a situation like that, late in a game where he clearly just lost his cool. Hey, man, I'm really sorry. I, it sucks that this is not something that you have a history with, but you got to go. I don't know how long the suspension would have been, probably a game or two, but that is a suspension-worthy play, a suspension-worthy act, and I'm disappointed, honestly, by the NHL deciding not to make an example out of him after that game. Uh, so th- that is something that I I just flat-out disagree with their decision there. I'm also very curious to see how the Blues take care of this now because this is something that in the regular season, we all know what would happen. In the next game that the two two teams played, It'd probably be Braden Shin, maybe Justin Falk, Robert Bortuzzo. One of those guys early in the game would make an example out of Jared's version. They would make sure, uh, I don't know if it's a fight or a, a big hit, something would take place in that game between the Blues and the Wild. Alex, in the playoffs, these things are typically handled a little bit differently. What do you expect to take place early in game two because of this? Honestly, nothing. I, I I don't expect them to go out there and try and throw down with Jared Spurgeon because what that's going to do is it's going to get the instigators and you're going to find yourself on the penalties and then people are going to start looking and then wonder if there's a suspension that's involved. I think the Blues are going to do exactly what they've done in the past when there's been adversity surrounding it. Just forget about it because that's the mindset of Craig Bruby. I mean, even him after the game last night, the first question he was asked about it said, I didn't see it. I'll go back and look at it. And then they followed it up with, well, do you feel like that that was a warranted play? And he said, look, it's playoffs. Things like that happen. Emotions run high. Would imagine that's where Jared Spurgeon comes from. I think this gets handled in the regular season next year, because I think the way that Craig Berube is telling his players, this is how we'll handle it. Is you go out there and beat them in game two. Because that's the only way that you can do this. It's kind of like the Nicholas Delorier mindset for the Blues. Let him be. Because if he's going to go out there and try and get people to drop the gloves, Jacob Middleton was trying to do it last night. He was trying to get Tory Krug to drop the gloves. Greenway, actually, it worked against David Perron. He and got honestly, into his head a little bit there. It worked for Jared Spurgeon. Because when I saw that quote, 
that means the Blues did get into the Minnesota Wilds head because you frustrated a guy who is up for the most gentlemanly award in the National Hockey League. You got under his skin so much that he did a suspension defense in that game to where he should have probably been suspended. The Blues are in the mindset of Minnesota now, and frankly, they're going to look at it as, let's just do the exact same thing. They didn't go after Nazem Kadri the next game in the playoffs, although he was suspended before he could return against the Blues. Yeah, they did the next year. They went into the next year. That's where I think it gets handled next season, but for the rest of this postseason, the Blues and Craig Berube are probably saying, we're going to handle this by beating them in the first round. Yeah, that's exactly how I expect this to go. I expect them to just pretend like it didn't happen, and then they'll when next season comes around and the first time they see Minnesota, then they'll remember it and then they'll go after him. I, I don't expect the Blues to have any kind of undisciplined play to where they go after him because I think they're going to cut down on the penalties tomorrow. I think Perron's going to try and be an agitator, but I think he's going to not take the penalties that he took last night. So I, I don't expect the Blues to really handle this at all, if you want to say that, in this postseason series. I think it'll be handled next year. 65780 is your comfort service X line from the 636. Guys, the biggest difference is location of the cross check. If he hits any other part of his body, he gets suspended. I actually think that's why I thought it was so bad. For him to go at such a vulnerable spot on Buchnevich, I mean, he, he's just lucky that the acts didn't in, result in something more significant. Pavel Buchnevich, like, I'm, I don't think I'm overstating this when I say <laughs> He could have broken his ankle on that play. Yeah, there's no protection there. Like, you have the back of your skate, and, and there's a little bit of cover, cover there, and Jamie will be able to talk about this better, but, like, the only thing you got there are your socks. It's tape. No, like, I, I think of Indomitian Sue and some of the plays that we've seen from yeah. him in the NFL he where he stomps on. on people. Like, that's basically what happened. It's not with your foot, but with your, with your uh, stick. I mean, that was just... That is super dangerous what he did to Pavel Buchnevich in that spot. So I, I think he should have been suspended. It is what it is. Nothing you can go back on now. Uh, but I, I do think another side of this is the way that the game was called last night, Alex. And there were just penalties from start to finish. We always talk about how the playoffs are more of a five-on-five style of game. You look at the penalty minutes last night. The Blues had 18. The Wild took 28. If you're just looking at the overall power plays, it was 6-6 six to six in terms of power play opportunities last night. That is not the style of game that we typically come to expect in the playoffs. And it wasn't just the Blues game last night. The other two games that were played prior also had a ton of penalties in them. Alex, do you think this is something we should expect for the first round? Is it just them in the first game calling it this way? Uh, what do you expect penalty-wise? I think it's the first game calling this way. Just uh, I think all of the officials came into this letting teams know, like, hey, we want this to be intense, but we're not going to let it get too out of hand in the first round. But I do think that you're going to see the officials maybe blow the whistles a little less for the rest of this series. But, like, here's the thing. The NHL player safety has been handing out fines left and right. Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, Wayne Simmons, they all got fined. Jared Spurgeon just got fined. Like, the officials are basically trying to limit the amount of extracurriculars that are taking place. But I do believe that both sides are going to go into this next game. The Blues, the Wild, they're going to sit here and be like, we got to be more disciplined with our stuff. And I also view the officials as looking at it as, okay, maybe we cut down on the power plays as much. Maybe it's a little bit more of the four-on-fours or we take guys similar like we saw in the third period where they were taking both post whistles. So I don't expect 48 or 46 penalty minutes doled out in game two tomorrow night.
Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think we're going to see as many penalties called tomorrow night and honestly the rest of this series. I, I think what you're going to see is the extracurricular activities are going to cut back a bit. Uh, you may see some, but I don't think any that are going to lead to the penalties that we saw last night. And plus, let's just be honest, some of the penalties that were taken last night were just dumb penalties from yeah. both sides. So I don't think you see as many penalty minutes. I, I expect probably two to three power plays maybe on each side. I think that'll be about the sweet spot where you'll see it kind of like a regular season game, maybe just a little bit less. Yeah, I think that's probably the way that this ends up going. I think game one is more of them trying to set the tone for, hey, you're not going to get away with a bunch of crap in this series. So know that early on. And then I think the teams will also adjust accordingly. So game two, I think you'll see fewer penalties called. But the more penalties called, Frankly, that favors the Blues. Yes. You're going into this series and you say to yourself, the best the best advantage that this Blues team has is its special teams against the Minnesota Wild. Last night was a game that the way that it was played heavily favored St. Louis. So if it does continue being called that way, not just in this series, but moving forward, that's going to be something that helps the Blues in this playoff run. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, David Perron. I looked back yesterday, Alex, at what he has done against the Wild in the last few years. Man, he might be a wild killer the way that we've seen other players come up against the Blues. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. The junk drawer, though, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, have you ever thought about what it would be like for you and your wife to share, you know, drinking each other's blood? No. Oh, I've, no. I've seen this. No, no we're not vampires. Um, and I prefer not to. I'm actually not going to finish that statement that I was just going to say. <laughs> Probably best for all. We have not considered that. Apparently, Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox are all about it. This guy's a weirdo. They're all about it, man. This is just something they they really enjoy doing. It's uh, it's part of their love language, apparently, and I don't totally understand it. And you know who else doesn't totally get it? Vampires. They're oh, telling vampires. Them, They're real. Better, no, you better be careful with this. MGK and Megan. Megan. Fox, is the is fire alarm going off right now? We good? All right, we're, we we got to fire. Do we have to? Ab- <laughs> we we're good. Do we have to abandon the show? A painter apparently uh, bumped our our fire alarm. Tanner, and just so you know, if a fire alarm does go off, you have to stay in here yeah. and handle everything. Nah, nah. Don't ESPN radio <laughs> deuces. This guy's gonna make All it right, out of here. Apologies for the uh, the brief detour there. Uh, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly are being warned by the vampire community in New Orleans. That what they're doing might not be particularly safe. They're looking out for them. (laughs) When you have to be warned, Alex, about drinking blood from vampires, maybe we should just go ahead and cool it on the whole drinking blood from your significant other thing. I just, why? What are are we doing here? What are we doing here? What's weird is like, I think I had a story back on Valentine's Day of, I think it was Machine Gun Kelly gave Megan Fox a necklace that had his blood in it. Oh yeah, she wears a vial of it. And I thought, wow, that's weird, but I was like, you know what, that, you know. Look, anytime the guy's got fingernails that are like Freddy Krueger length, they're probably not the... The most normal couple on the on the earth. According to TMZ, the co-founder of the New Orleans Vampire Association, which I was unaware was a thing, but 
God bless you. More power to you. Is there something I'm not knowing? They have urged the couple to, quote, take proper precautions before drinking their lover's blood, including the testing for potential diseases and bloodborne illnesses. He clarified that vampires are, quote, not immune to such things. But vampires are immune to everything. Barely not. They're not, they're not living creatures. I'm actually more surprised that vampires are a real thing. Thought that was just fake. Thought that was like a Twilight thing. Nope, nope, barely. Very, very real. Uh, just in New Orleans. Does that concern you at all of like the lights flickering in your house? Because like if vampires are real, ghosts got to be real. Oh, no, I just assume ghosts are among us at all what, times. What if vampires are in your house doing that? Wouldn't he be dead already? Wouldn't they want the light to be off, Obviously though? not, because they're not sucking blood. You would assume that the vampires would not want the light on. Yeah, that's another good point. Maybe they're turning it on and, like, leaving the room. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to justify this right Tanner, now. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer? Well, I, I'm always looking out for you, you know, BK, and we need to optimize the Peloton riding. We do. We got to optimize it. A new study in England has found what the best artist is to listen to while you are working out. And I'll be honest, I haven't heard a lot of these, but we're going to make sure that you really get your workout in on that Peloton today. When so you what you're saying is they choose the music for me, but uh, so what you're saying is BK's got to start riding more. Yeah, you got not just riding more. He's got to get the right the right uh, jam going. Otherwise, I guarantee there's no like, Christmas music on this list. There's not. Sadly, there's not. Uh, Dua Lipa was number one. Dua Lipa. Dua <laughs> Lipa was number one. Uh, Harry Styles, What's number two. Andrew Kisner listens to her as his walk-up song. I love it. Levitating. And that's why he's doing so well. I don't listen to that music. Number two is Harry Styles. And then we've got BTS. Harry I think Harry Styles, can I, can I give a hot take? I think Harry Styles is one of the most overrated musicians currently in, like, who's Harry Styles? Pop. He I'm used to fan. be in uh, one Direction. the boy band. Yeah, One, one Direction. Riddled that off pretty quick there, T-Bone. One Direction was like the well, big I mean, band like when I was growing the, up. I guess that's top true. Top pop artists in the yeah, world I, right I've, now. I've, I've honestly never heard. I've seen a couple. So, is that the, the Zane? Was he a part of that group? I believe so. He's um, the one that I remember. So he's he's just not good live. He's really bad. In you fact, saw Harry I've Styles live. I've seen a few different performances now. I think he was on SNL. Oh wow! Um, okay. He did. He was at Coachella, and I watched a couple of those performances uh, on YouTube. He's just really bad, man. So, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so, after Harry Styles, BTS. Uh, Isn't that the is K-pop that the Japanese band? band? I don't know who that is. Or I don't Korean know K-pop. Uh, Lizzo's on here. I like okay. Lizzo. Eminem's at five. There we go. That's He's the real rapper, and Machine Gun Kelly can go back to sucking blood. Jay, Drake. I didn't know where that was Drake, going. Drake is at six. <laughs> Olivier Rodrigo, seven. Beyonce, eight. Doja Cat, nine. Olivia What? Olivier Rodrigo? She she's a for working out? Yeah. Okay. How is Eminem not number one for working out? Doja Cat is nine and Metallica is ten. How is Metallica's the classic, like I'm going to the local gym. When you're on your Tyler O'Neill regiment, that's but what like, how is Eminem, a chance. If you're there for at least an hour, you will hear a Metallica song at some point within Eminem, that. Eminem, Drake, and Metallica not one, two, and three when it comes to to, to pop. Because what's your name Leap was so much better. Who wants to work out to Harry Styles? Yeah, that's not gonna be on my Isn't list. Isn't he like a s- if soft, you were to like listen to one singer? genre of music, Harry Styles, yeah. like pop. Uh, if you were listen to listen to one style, one genre of music while you're working out, what would you choose? Mine's rap. Like I have an Eminem playlist when I work out. Are you thinking like cardio wise or like both, lifting? Both. Okay. Yeah. It, it's honestly, it's Eminem and it's Queen. 
Like, those are the two playlists what? that I have to exercise with. That is such a what? weird it combo. What? It is, but Queen has so many songs that, like, keep your mind rolling when it's working out. Okay. Like their bicycle song? I want to ride my bicycle and nope, you're just nope, on your Peloton grinding no. it no, out? No, the goat of Queen songs is Don't Stop Me Now. That is Prove a great song. Prove me wrong. That is a great song. Mine's definitely just rock and roll. I, I, I'm not a big, like rapper fan so hip-hop and all that not that my surprises thing. the heck out of me tanner i just always took you as a hip-hop yeah. guy you you remind really? me a lot of a machine gun kelly type of no no not musician. me not me rock and roll all the way 80s rock that's the workout juices right there i'm typically more alternative like what we hear what you would hear on 1057 that's typically what i end up listening to um but if i i, I think it kind of depends like if i'm going on a run i'll listen to one thing if i'm lifting or on the peloton for example i'll listen to something entirely different on, I listen to like EDM or house music that really gets you going. I'm telling you, listen to Dua Lipa, you are going to be, you're going to enhance your Someone workout. Said by girls a lot. work out too. This list is evident of that. Look, I, yeah, I get it, but I mean, my wife doesn't listen to Harry Styles to exercise. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I just think Harry Styles be, and wasn't he like number four on this no, list? No, he was two. number two. Number two. That, that's B, crazy. To how me. is BTS? A workout. They're more upbeat, so I, c- I could see the argument in favor of them. Mm. It's not my personal style. I don't really listen to it, but I could at least see the argument there. Harry Styles, I just think is like my wife listens to Bruno good. Mars when she exercises because, like, that's a little bit more just sure exercise themed music, not Dua Lipa, Doja Cat. I I actually think that those ASAP Suavos or something like Rocky? that. No, what? Rocky, I love Rocky. Rocky? I, listen, I listen to Rocky all the time. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll catch up with our guy Danny Mack, the Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest. Going to power through here. David Perron, he's a wild killer. We'll tell you why. Coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. David Perron, the wild killer? Maybe. What is a wild first? Are you saying like he kills trees? Because I don't think David Perron does that. You don't think he's a lumberjack in his free time? I mean, no, that's Marco Scandella. Marco Scandella's off-season regimen is just chopping down trees. I would imagine trees. Justin Falk is too. No, Justin Falk, remember when we talked to him on Ribs and BK? He was moving televisions. That's his off-season. <laughs> Best Buy. That's, that's how, <laughs> that's how he exercises. He lifts heavy equipment. Uh, David Prawn in the last 12 games that he's played against the Minnesota Wild has tw- has nine goals, nine goals in his last 12 games against Minnesota. They have to just have vivid, vivid dreams of him in their nightmares at the end of the night. This guy is crushing them in the last couple of seasons. And if you look at the way that the blues have to beat the wild, they're going to need him to continue playing like this. We talked about it earlier today, Alex, that grief line. They matched them up for a reason against Robert Thomas and Vladimir Tarasenko and Pavel Buchnevich. And Craig Berube said after the game, he knew they were going to do that. He knew that the Wilds were going to try to take away that line from them. And Berube tried to get them opportunities when the grief line wasn't out there. But it was difficult to do when the Wild are able to dictate the matchups. So David Perron being able to come up big in a series like this. It's huge, man. And I go back to that list that we saw earlier today over on ESPN.com, ranking the top 50 players in the NHL playoffs. They did not have David Perron on there. Ryan O'Reilly came in at number 41. They didn't have Vladimir Tarasenko on there either. 
I think if you were to make a, this exact same list after the playoffs, I think all three of those players are going to be ranked a, a on the list and B higher for Ryan O'Reilly than what you saw coming in, especially David Perron. I mean, like I, I'm not sure how more people weren't talking about him going into this postseason because he missed all of last year because of COVID. And like you talk about a guy who is hungry, who knows that, you know, he might only have four or five more years in the national hockey league before he's got to call it a career. And you're talking about a guy who missed the playoff series against Colorado. Like this guy was going to be hungry. It doesn't surprise me that he has that success. It also doesn't surprise me that he has success against the Minnesota wild. Like for some reason, certain guys just have certain teams numbers like Brandon sod. He has scored a ton of goals against the San Jose sharks. Vladimir Tarasenko has a ton of offense against the Winnipeg jets. It's just how it goes sometimes. And if this is the way that it is for David Perron, that's dangerous for Minnesota because it's another person that they have to key in on. And I went and looked at this last night because I was just curious. It's not just Minnesota BK that he's got success against. It's Marc-Andre Fleury. So in the last three seasons, two of them when Fleury was playing with the Vegas Golden Knights, so the 2019-20 season and the 2020-21 season, and then this year in the three games against Chicago. You know how many goals he's got against Marc-Andre Fleury? He's got 11 and 14 games. Jeez. So it's not just that he's beating Minnesota, but he's also beating Marc-Andre Fleury. So that's two elements that Minnesota is going to have to sit there and say, okay, do we go about this differently in game two? Because now we got to worry about David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly's line getting hot, but we also got to worry about maybe our goaltender having his number against one of their players. 65780 is your comfort service text line. This is an interesting point. From the 636, guys, I think David Perron has evolved into the Blues version of Dave or Brad Marchand. I'm totally okay with it. He pisses off the opponents and then makes them pay whenever they take a bad penalty. Absolutely. There's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Now, he's like 80% of Brad Marchand. He's not quite the same player, I wouldn't say. But in terms of stylistically, the way that they go about it, I, I kind of like that comparison between those two players. Especially once you get into the playoffs and the the impact that they can have. I mean, it's spot on. And David Perron has been doing this since 2018-2019 season. He is a pest to go up against. It's not just that he's hard to move off of the puck, but he's always doing that extracurricular stuff. And that's what I love about him. Last night, he takes the roughing penalty on Ryan Hartman, which was a little bit of a dive by Hartman. But look... It was a penalty. He basically kept punching Hartman in the face after the whistle along the board. But you know what I find interesting about it? Craig Berube doesn't even have a conversation with him. They showed Craig Berube after that penalty by David Perron, and he wasn't frustrated because he knows what David Perron's game plan is. There's a reason that Ryan O'Reilly's line was matched up against Kaprizov's line, and they didn't have a lot of offense because David Perron was on those guys Every single second, David Perron is the Brad Marchand, and I think that's a benefit for the Blues because other teams don't know how to stop that guy. The other thing that he's done a really good job of is raising his game once you get to the playoffs. I know he's been basically a point-per-game producer for the Blues over the last couple of seasons now, but you look at the playoffs, typically goal-scoring production goes down. Your points are not supposed to sustain at the same level as what you do in the regular season. But David Perron, in his last 36 playoff games, so since he came back to the Blues in that 2018-19 cup run for the Blues, he has 14 goals, 15 assists. That's 29 points in 36 games. He's a plus eight on the ice in that stretch, and he's averaging more than 18 and a half minutes on the ice for the Blues in his last 36 playoff games. That's a guy that knows what it takes Mm -hmm. to raise your game once you get into the playoffs. And I think back to Alex, uh, two comments from him. One, on preferring to start on the road. 
You might have seen why last night he prefers to do that. Two, he talked. I can't even imagine the number of times with uh, Carriker and Smallman when he's doing the the morning show with them. And he talks about how there's a specific style of game that you have to have once you get to the playoffs. And there were fr- there was frustration on his perspective of the Blues not getting there. They didn't seem to have the urgency, probably, what was it, like March-ish, mm-hmm. when they were just going through that stretch of, oh, we're not playing our best hockey right now, and it's because we're not playing the style that's going to win us games once we get into May and June. And now you see it. You see what he was talking about. This is the style of hockey, which you saw last night from David Perron and that line specifically that you have to play once you're here. And for him to be able to do this so consistently over the last few years, it's just such an evolution of a player where early on the criticism of David Perron was he doesn't show up in the playoffs. And now it's the opposite of that. Now, if I'm a wild fan, the guy I'm most concerned about maybe going into game two is David Perron because of the offense that he's able to build when they don't have a line that can shut them down. Yeah, and we're getting a lot of texts coming in on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 saying, well, Perron doesn't lick people and he doesn't slew at anybody. Yeah, he's a different Brad Marchand. There's there's different ways to go about it. He's Mar- not dirty, Marchand's but he's an instigator. Not, exactly. Marchand's not a not he's a little bit of a dirtier player but he's doing exactly what his role truly is. Frankly, Tom Wilson is this as well. Like people give Tom Wilson a lot of crap for what he does. And yeah, it's dirty, but he's, he's accomplishing his mission from the head coach and from his mission on the ice. And it's to disrupt the other team's focus. It's kind of like a batter taking a step out of the box to disrupt the, the rotation and the movement of the pitcher. That's what David Perron's doing. He's trying to disrupt the Minnesota Wild, and he might not be drawing penalties, but he's pissing off other teams' lines so that they go out there, and the next time there's a post-whistle, they're pissed off, and they're going to start throwing punches, and the next thing you know, a guy's in the penalty box. We'll get out of here on this from the 636. Guys, is David Perron the best value in the NHL when you look at the production that he's giving the Blues and the money that they're spending on him? I don't know if he is the best I mean, value I, in the I, NHL. I could argue Robert Thomas. But he is on the short list of guys that, given what they are paid, especially guys that are later on in their careers where it is not like a rookie deal or a bridge deal, mm-hmm. he's right up there yeah. in terms of what you're getting bang for your buck-wise. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Cardinals finally admitted what we've all known all along about their middle infields next Danny Mac joins us coming up here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Danny Mack, the Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here in just a moment. Alex, the big thing that I'm interested in for tonight's game, and we talked about this a lot uh, last week after his most recent start, but is Dakota Hudson and whether or not he's just going to be able to go out there and consistently throw strikes. We talked briefly about this uh, with Ollie Marmel before the game on Sunday when we had the opportunity to catch up with him down in the dugout. And he said, listen, like I loved the results, six innings, one hit, zero earned runs. Who wouldn't sign up for that from a pitcher? But when you look and the way that he phrased it was uh, under the hood, some of those numbers we know that that's just not the way that he's going to be able to pitch for us long term. And in that game against Arizona, he was good, but he only threw about 50% strikes, 46 strikes in the 86 pitches that he had in that one. So that's what I'm looking for today, especially against a lineup that is not imposing in Kansas City. He's just got to be able to be more in the zone. And if you do that with the way that he gets the sink on his pitches and he gets so many ground balls, 
And with the defense that's behind him, he should be able to go pretty deep into this one. But I just want to see the biggest thing for him is just to throw strikes again. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's just there's certain areas that I feel like you're building. Like, you're getting more length out of him now compared to his first two games where he gave you a total of seven innings. Now you've gotten 12 and two-thirds from him. And, you know, he's never really been a strikeout thrower, but he's got eight strikeouts in his last two starts. But you're right. Like, there's, there's, there's different areas that you want to see him build. And you're hoping that you get to the point in terms of the strikes there. And Ali Marmol was spot on with it. I want to see something different with Dakota Hudson there. But I I still am just on the side of Dakota Hudson thinking that it's like, man, it, it was such a long road back for everything that he went through that the next step for him is just garnering his command a little bit more. And before I sit there and panic and say, man, like this is out of control, they got to do something about it. I want to see what he looks like when he gets that command. And look, if you get a run of three to five more games where he's doing this, then we need to have the conversation of what do you do with Dakota Hudson? Does he go into the bullpen? But for right now, I just think right now he's, he's a legitimate starter for you and he's giving you a chance to win despite all of the balls he's throwing. And for what it's worth, I I tend to agree with you. (laughs) Like I I think that he's, I hope that he's going to be fine. But the reason why I'm having the conversation this early on about his lack of uh, command is because it was an issue the last time that we saw him as a full-time starter. It is, it's not the same, to the same degree, but it's kind of the Paul DeYoung conversation, right? There are a lot of guys right now that are struggling offensively. We're not being as critical of them as we are Paul DeYoung. Why? Because of the track record. The track record for Paul Goldschmidt told you he's going to break out of this, and he has. The track record last year for Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson indicates they're going to be fine. Now, that's a very brief track record for both of those players. So eventually, if they don't start hitting within the next four to six weeks, yeah, there's going to be some real concern there that I think starts to develop. But it's the opposite with Dakota Hudson. His his most recent track record, the last time that we saw him as a full-time starter, he allowed more walks than any pitcher in, in baseball. And that's what I'm concerned about with this specific defense. The way that they went after this offseason, guys like Nick Wickren, bringing back TJ McFarland, going out and get Drew Verhagen, who they called a strike thrower, being as excited as they were to be able to get Miles Michaelis back healthy, who is the definition of a strike thrower. That's what I want to see from Dakota Hudson. He's got the stuff. It plays. If you just throw it into the zone, you're going to get a ton of ground balls. He is not a guy that's going to strike a whole lot of guys out. To your point, Alex. And I don't need him to. Right. It, that That's not the role that I need him to play. Be a 80% version, without the velocity, of course, of Jordan Hicks. Do, do what Jordan Hicks has been doing. And if you can do that, I feel pretty good about him being in my rotation. But I need to see it first. I need to see him go out there and actually throw strikes. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I, I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been Miles Michaelis that said... Uh, Dakota Hudson's basically, or sorry, Jordan Hicks is just a harder throwing version of D- yep. Dakota Hudson. And if you can get Dakota Hudson to play that way, then it, things are going to go really well for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, pitching staff throughout the season because he's one of those guys that you're leaning on to cover a couple of innings. Or yeah, a lot it, of innings. Excuse it, me. If you can get him back to being a, a better command version of what he was the last time that we saw him as a full time starter, Alex, what was that, 2018, 19? Yeah, 2018. Uh, then you feel really good about this rotation because mm-hmm. Miles Michaelis looks awesome right now. We know Wayno's going to be fine. His command hasn't been there the way that we would expect it either, but Wayno has a track record again of being a guy that will. Matt says, I think, been pretty much what I expected yeah, him I to be him. thus far. And if you can throw Dakota Hudson into that mix, and then we'll figure out what the, the plan is with Hicks slash um, uh, Jack Flaherty. Yeah. 
you feel pretty good about that five-man rotation, and we've always known that we feel great about their bullpen. Let's discuss this with Danny Mack. Let's continue that conversation we were just having about Dakota Hudson, today's starter. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. I've liked what we've seen from Dakota Hudson thus far when he's in the strike zone. I just want to see him more in the strike zone today. Is that what you're looking for from him against Kansas City? 100%. I mean, when you think about the way that uh, he has movement and sync on his pitches, and once he gets settled in, um, he's been like almost unhittable. He's been terrific. So his last two starts have given the Cardinals a great chance to win those games, and they have. Um, I'm also looking at the first inning. It seems like the first inning for him, it just takes a little bit to get settled in. So somehow, some way, get him to be inside the strike zone early on. And if he's inside the strike zone with the great moment he has, uh, there's going to be no issues with him. He'll keep them in the game, no question about that. Danny, speaking of the the first inning, does that kind of apply for Jordan Hicks as well? Because uh, I thought he looked great against the Arizona Diamondbacks after that first inning where he got into a little bit of a bind. I think time will tell. You know, I mean, it's so early right now to figure out a guy that's making this transition, you know, what are the things that he's got to be better on? I, I would say throwing strikes because his stuff is so good, uh, you know, when you're throwing 99 to 100 and can, in your back pocket, go to 101, 102, and then that slider that breaks off the table, uh, you know, throw strikes, be inside the strike zone, make them hit it or swing at it and miss it, which a lot of teams and a lot of players will do. So I think it's early to say is is the first thing an issue with him. I, I guess, Alex, you know, the verdict is still out on that one. And um, I, I would just say if, really to a lot of these guys if they throw strikes their stuff is so good they're going to have success but that's clearly the case when you talk about uh, tonight's starter Dakota Hudson and and obviously Jordan Hicks as well we're talking to Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN Dan I know for a lot of people they're they're really concerned about the offense right now and for good reason like the Cardinals aren't hitting but league-wide people aren't hitting around baseball right now especially for power it's really down I kind of flipped that conversation on its head earlier today, Dan, and you look at the way that they're pitching right now. The Cardinals are top 10 in ERA from their starting rotation, which I think a lot of people would not have anticipated coming into the year. I can make a pretty strong argument that right now, if it's not the best bullpen in baseball, the Cardinals have one of the top five bullpens in the sport. They're doing everything else well. And when they do start hitting, if that other stuff stays the way that it is right now, this has the chance to be a really good baseball club. You're 13 and nine when your offense has been awful to start the year. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly one way to look at it. Um, you know, the pitching has been great. I mean, we talk about a sport that now is defined by what do you do with damage? Well, in terms of the pitching right now, they're eighth in home runs allowed and they have the third, uh, third highest ground ball percentage. It's right around 48% in the sport. And so we've talked about this too you know, when you have the defense that the Cardinals have behind them, uh, you know, ground balls are going to turn into outs, and they're not giving up many home runs. But you're right. The the real uh, issue for this team right now has been uh, the offense. And yesterday was a perfect example of the margin for error right now for the Cardinals to win games is minute because they're just not scoring a lot of runs. So you better do the other things properly, which is uh, obviously pitching, which they have, Defense has been really good. Their base running has been exceptional. So when you think of those little areas that you have to do at this level to win games, if you're not going to score, you know, seven or eight runs a night, your margin for error is slim. And so Goldschmidt hits the home run yesterday in the first inning, second batter of the game. 
After that, the Cardinals went three for 25 with a walk. Their last 11 games, they're averaging about three runs a game. Now, I understand that offense is way down across the board. I think it's the month of April finished in baseball at 231. And it was like the seventh lowest average for a month since like 1901. It was wow. something crazy like that. But they're in the bottom three of things that you look at offensively, which is what's your contact rate, hard hit rate, barreling it up. You know, they're like 27th and 30th and soft contact. They lead the major league. So you don't want to have that. That's got to change as uh, we move forward here in the month of May. Dan, I'm going to give you four names here. Speaking of that offense, I want to hear if there's one of them in particular that you think is close to getting back on track offensively. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, Corey Dickerson. Have you seen signs from any of those four guys that they could be getting closer? Well, I, I put it this way, and you know, I know fans don't want to hear this. It is a long season. Um, the things that are cons- there's some concerns right now with Carlson is that. Even when he does hit the ball, it's not hard. Mm-hmm. You know, his hard hit rate has been uh, dropped dramatically. I don't think it's going to be that long before we see Tyler O'Neill. So if you're asking me for one guy, it's, it would be O'Neill for me. I, I just think you don't go from 34 home runs a year ago and figuring things out to all of a sudden you're back to square one. I, I just I realize it happens in sports with some players, but I, I think that he'll make that adjustment. Um, I actually saw some pretty decent things out of Paul DeYoung yesterday. So they're trying to work on him. You know, he's trying to get the ball in the air, and that's clear. But there's a lot of pop-ups with it, so he's trying to change that up. And for Dickerson, you know, he's been there before. And I think if he played every day, that might be uh, advantageous for him. But that's not his role here. So it's tough when you do that, as you guys know, to get back on track. Uh, Dan, you've been watching baseball for a long time. How much does it affect hitters when they get moved around in the batting order? Like Dylan Carlson, he started the year as a leadoff, and now today he's batting ninth. I think it's more when you switch positions defensively, to be quite honest with you, Um, which is part of the equation of what's going on at shortstop and if you move Tommy Edmond. I mean, that's a whole set of new responsibilities defensively that if he shifted over there, and we may see it, who knows, uh, time will tell. But that's one of the things that you do have to take into account is that when you're shifting guys around defensively, um, a lot of times it's just an added pressure and it, it can affect the guy at the plate. At the plate. I, I don't really think it affects too many guys, especially in this day and age of baseball, where they're at in the, in, you know, in the, in the lineup, because if you would have asked me 20, 25 years ago, what's your leadoff guy? I would say, well, you know, I mean, what about Ozzy or Willie or Vince? You know, one of these guys that can fly to where now a leadoff guy might be Kyle Schwarber or Anthony Rizzo. And what are they trying to do? Punish the baseball. And no matter where you're at in a lineup in today's baseball, you're asked to get it in the air, hit and, and slug and try to hit home runs and hit for power. That's just the way the game is played. We're talking to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Dan, I wanted to ask you about Andrew Kisner because I know he went 0 for 3 yesterday, but uh, watching the game, I mean, he had one hit that probably should have been a home run if anybody other than Michael A. Taylor was playing in center field, and then another one that was absolutely crushed, like 110 miles per hour off of the bat. 
He's been really good for them this season, and it's not just the offensive numbers. It's also what he's doing behind the plate. Yesterday after the game, Stephen Matz raved about the game that Andrew Kisner called for him. What have you seen from his development, Dan, that has stood out to you, whether it be just your conversations around the club, what guys are saying about where, where Andrew Kisner is at right now, or something specifically that you've seen from him on the field? First of all, I give him credit to go play winter ball when he had a job with the Cardinals. Um, that's you just you know you don't have guys doing that. So he went out and played winter ball. The other thing he's done is he's changed his hands with his stance, and so um, a byproduct of of his success is getting more playing time. So going into the game yesterday, I believe it was he's taken forty seven percent of the at bats by Cardinal catchers this year. So it's been about 50-50, mm-hmm. which may surprise some people, um, you know, with, when you consider that Yachty is there and it's his final year. But he's also earned it. And uh, I, I mentioned it during the game yesterday, and it was great that Matt said something afterwards. I'm glad I picked up on something. I, I just said to Jimmy, I said, Andrew Kisner is calling a great game right now. He is calling exactly what needs to be done. He's setting up where it needs to be. Uh, and to Matt's credit, he was hitting spots. But I, I thought he did just a tremendous job. He's had a couple of caught stealings already this year. Um, so he deserves all the credit in the world to keep himself mentally uh, in this situation for the last couple of years of understanding he's not going to play a lot to now getting the chance to play. And I was talking with Ali before the game uh, in his office about Kisner specifically. I said, man, this guy's doing a good job, a really good job. And he said, absolutely. And he said, we – you know, appreciate he comes with the attitude and understanding of what the scenario is with Yachty, but he's always ready and uh, he's kept himself in great condition. He does all the things we ask him to do. And uh, you're right. He should have had two hits yesterday. The ball, it was an 11 pitch at bat, which was the hardest ball he hit to left. And it was right at uh, the left fielder. And then the the one to center was just a remarkable play by Michael A. Taylor one of the best catches I've seen at Bush stadium three. So very easily could have walked away with two hits and catching a uh, shutout, and uh, and that shouldn't be overlooked. It was six innings and then three relievers. Relievers, so you had four different guys that you navigated through that lineup and put up a zero. That's that's getting the job done. Final question for you, Dan. We'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, it's the conversation that I, I know you're well aware everybody is having outside, and that is. What do you do with this Nolan Gorman thing where he's just crushing the ball right now down in AAA and you've got uh, the middle infield where Tommy Edmonds been excellent this year. He has reclaimed that leadoff spot for good reason. He's been great at the plate. He's still playing gold glove defense at second base. Uh, obviously, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, Paul DeYoung has struggled this year. You've seen some adjustments that m- maybe they can work. How do you think the Cardinals view this right now with what they've got in the middle infield? I think they take a view of it's a really long year and uh, will encourage Gorman to knock the door down and make it to where they can't keep him down anymore. Now, there's some probably saying he's done that, and you can make the case for that. I think the Cardinals, though, are saying we get it. We love what we see, um, but we're going to give this a little bit more and then probably make an evaluation here I would assume sooner rather than later, BK, and uh, I don't know that for sure, and I don't know what that timetable looks like because they do take a very pragmatic look at the season of six months. And so here we are just past one month. And so 
you just want to be careful with the kid. And I understand the excitement with it, and I understand he's doing everything he possibly can to be up here. And to his credit, he knew he had a chance to make the team coming into spring training. Didn't do it, put a lot of pressure on himself, didn't perform. This was not the guy that we saw in spring training. Well, now you're getting that. The only caution I would have with this is when he comes to the major leagues, you're going to see pitchers that are a lot better. They hit their spots, um, and they don't make as many mistakes. And to his credit, he's crushing mistakes. So his swing and rate rate, uh, swing and miss rate is up a little bit. Strikeout rate is up a little bit. That would concern me because they are going to continue to go up when you get to the big uh, big leagues, and that's a generalization, but yet it leans that way. So all those things I'm saying could be right, could be wrong, but I think that's part of what the equation is here as they uh, evaluate this team. But to the bigger point, they understand that the shortstop position is not produced offensively, been great defensively. The combination has been excellent, but they need to get more offensive production. And they're not blind to it. They know that. So time will tell. I'm not trying to answer on your question, but that's some of the things that I'm sprinkling in to try to figure out exactly what they're going to do no I don't think you'd answer around it at all I think it's a good way to look at it and I I also wonder if they're hoping that the lineup around Gorman slash DeYoung can start getting going a little bit more before they call him up and uh, fans potentially put that much more extra pressure on him to be the one that saves the offense right now because that's just totally unfair to the kid it shouldn't be the way that uh, he's viewed when he comes up hey Dan we always appreciate it well real quickly and I think that's part of what they think too you know, is, hey, if he comes up and he struggles, which very well could happen, happens all the time, you know, we don't want to bury the kid and we don't want him to feel like, hey, this is all on you and guys weren't performing, so now you are and you've got to continue this. It's just take a deep breath, relax, and let's make the right situation for him and the team. And I do think that's what they think. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I totally understand where they're coming from on it. I I just know that fans are getting anxious, <laughs> as you can expect. Well, we all are. I, I'd love to see him. I, I sure. you know, I'm, I'm excited to see him. He's a great kid. And I mean, you know, let's be honest here. He's he's doing everything he possibly can to, to get to the big league. So all you can ask is just keep doing it. And at, at some point that that uh, that situation will rise. Always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself in Kansas City. I know you had the opportunity to go over to the Negro Leagues Museum today, one of the best places in America. Uh, Enjoy yourself out there in KC. Hopefully it's a good trip for you. You got it, guys. Thanks. Absolutely. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. Let's continue that conversation on the other side, Alex. I want to look back at a few of the Cardinals' previous top prospects, what they did when they first got up, and why it could be a sign of caution for the way that the Cardinals are approaching this Nolan Gorman situation. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. There seems to be a new approach that's being taken by the St. Louis Cardinals when it comes to Nolan Gorman. Has it not hit the ball? No, he's hitting the ball. When it comes to Nolan Gorman, I, I think I thought, he's doing quite I thought, well. I thought you were going to say there seems to be a new approach for the Cardinals. And no, that's, no, that's no, where no, I no. jumped Ding in. Ding dong Johnson's. That's what Nolan Gorman knows how to do. That's all he does. He's striking out too, right though, now. right? He, he is a little bit, oh, yes. Okay, that's Tyler O'Neill does that, I think. Katie Wu of The Athletic was able to catch up with John Mosellock the other day, and I found this quote to be interesting. He mm-hmm. said, quote, We're still trying to figure out what we have here with DeYoung, so we're trying to give him every opportunity possible. That part 
goes along with the company line that we've heard all season long so far, Alex. Then he continued, if things don't change trajectory or direction, then ultimately we're probably going to have to do something different. Nolan would get more of a major league opportunity at that point. I think we have to remind ourselves that we're a month into the season. We've had an odd couple of first weeks with the weather and obviously a truncated spring training. You're seeing a lot of offensive statistics down in general in this league, so we want to remain patient. But obviously, what you're seeing down in Memphis with Nolan Gorman is exceptional. But as far as a knee-jerk reaction at this point in the season, I think we still have to remain a little bit patient. That brief quote of... If things don't change trajectory or direction, we're probably going to have to do something different. That tells you this is a Nolan Gorman versus a Paul DeYoung decision. We had talked previously, does this include Edmundo Sosa? Answer seems to be no. I think the Cardinals view it as either it's going to be DeYoung as our everyday shortstop or uh, Tommy Edmund as their everyday shortstop. And they're trying to figure out right now, do we still have anything here in this $15 million player over the next two years? to be able to get anything out of him. Can we extract any sort of offense out of Paul DeYoung, or is he just a lost cause? And I think you give him another two, three, maybe four weeks. I know people don't want to hear that to be able to figure out what he is. And if he fails, if he's not able to get going offensively, that's when you make the change. The other thing, Alex, that I think goes into a decision like this, and I mentioned it at the end of our conversation with Danny Mack, I don't think they want Gorman coming up to be the savior. And, man, you guys know, I grew up in Kansas City. I watched so many prospects that just were broken because they would come up to the big leagues and the first day that they would be in the lineup, they'd be batting cleanup and they would be counted upon to be the savior of the offense in that team. Now, Gorman's not going to be batting cleanup. They've got a middle of the order that's good enough. But there are so many players in their lineup right now that are struggling that when he comes up, they would expect him to be like the third best player in their lineup right away. That's just totally unfair to Nolan Gorman. And honestly, it's just not realistic. You look back at some of these top prospects, Alex, Dylan Carlson in the first 20 games of his big league career. He hit 177. He struck out a total of 21 times in 60 plate appearances. You look back at Oscar Tavares, his first uh, time getting called up. First 11 games that he was up here, 189 batting average with seven strikeouts and 35 plate appearances. Harrison Bader, Bader, the first time that he got called up, came up. Did all right when it came to the batting average, hit for zero power, though, and ended up getting sent back down. Colton Wong, his first 30 games in the big leagues, hit 155 with 12 strikeouts. Like there just there wasn't a whole lot there offensively from some of the previous top prospects in the Cardinal system early on when they came up. Eventually he'll work through this. Every level that he's gone up, he has a weird first week or two, and then he's able to adjust the pitching. I think you'd see that eventually with Gorman here. But I think they, A, want to see the rest of the lineup start producing. They want to find out if DeYoung's a lost cause. And then they don't want all of that pressure to be on Gorman. I think that's why he's not up yet. And also tells me he's not going to be a DH. If they're if they're concerned about him coming up to be the savior and they don't want him to feel like he's got to do everything on the offense, well, you're not going to put a young guy in a position to be the DH where your sole responsibility is to hit the ball. I think this does come down to playing second base every day. And I do think a little bit of... John Mozalock's decision to bring up Nolan Gorman is based off of not just Paul DeYoung, but also the offense around him. Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, if they're still inconsistent, not hitting the ball, 
you're not going to bring up Nolan Gorman in the middle of that. I would imagine you want to bring up Nolan Gorman when everyone seems to be clicking on all cylinders and you're adding to the offense rather than bringing somebody up to be the solution. I'll go back to what John Mosaloc's comments were uh, over the weekend where they asked him about Paul DeYoung and he said, look, we're in a results-oriented business and we're not seeing the results right now. We need results. That's what it comes down to. So I gave it until the end of May before Paul DeYoung was yanked out of that position. And frankly, I think it could be sooner than that. Yeah, see, I think it could still be around the end of May timeline. It could be a little bit earlier than that, but I think they do want to wait. I thought they were going to do the Sosa experiment first, but it doesn't sound like it. I agree Same. with you. It seems like they believe Edmundo Sosa's best quality is going to be a utility infielder, and that's not a bad thing. I think Sosa would like to get a shot at being that everyday shortstop. Uh, but it, to your point, BK, on Nolan Gorman, and they want to wait till the offense is clicking, I, I buy into that a little bit. The reason I would push back on it just a little bit is because he's going to be hitting sixth. So I don't really view him as a savior to the offense. I get the mindset. That's what it's going to be. He's truly not. The fans are going to put that pressure on him. He's not really going to have that mindset from the Cardinals' perspective. It's not going to be, oh, we got to call Nolan Gorman. He's going to have to hit third. He's hitting sixth in the lineup. So there's less pressure there. But I do think it is a valid point. They would rather wait till the offense is clicking. Yeah. But if not, if the offense is still struggling by the end of the month and Young hasn't done anything. At that point, they it's will a necessity. Call him up. Yeah, yeah they at that will point, call it just him, becomes a we, we have to make this move, especially if he continues hitting the way that he has and, so far. And not only just the DeYoung conversation, conversation, Danny Mac brought it up his strikeout percentage. I think the Cardinals do want to give him another month to see if that starts to come down in AAA because if it's still as high as it is right now, that is going to be a little alarming when you call him up to the big leagues because of what Danny Mac said, where these pitchers are, got so, are so much better in locating their pitches now that if he's going to be, he's not going to get the mistakes to hit as much very often. The strikeout rate is a double. You also know exactly what's going to happen. Like they're just going to throw him breaking balls all day long. Yeah. All he's going to see is sliders low and away, curveballs. Like that's that's going to be ninety percent, not ninety percent, sixty percent plus of what he sees at the plate. And right now he's striking out thirty five percent of the time against AAA pitching. You want to see that probably below thirty percent or, or so before he gets up to the big leagues. Jeff Jones, by the way, just tweeted this out. I think it's a really interesting point on Paul DeYoung and what has to change. If he's going to be able to keep his job as the starting shortstop here in St. Louis, he said back in 2021, Paul DeYoung saw about 55% of his pitches were fastballs. He had 263 slugged 505 against them against breaking balls and off-speed pitches. He hit two, 124 and slugged 265 in 2022. The percentage of fastballs that he's seen has completely plummeted. It's down to 45% of the pitches that he's seeing. And this is the way that they will pitch a guy like Nolan Gorman as well. He's 0 for 9 against off-speed pitches. Three for 21 so far this year against breaking balls. If he doesn't adjust to that, that's going to be what ends up losing him his job. His job. We see this all over the place, man. Pitchers are just too good. They'll eventually find what the hole is in your swing. And if you don't adjust, they will continue attacking. Just like with a goalie in the NHL, Alex. You find what that weakness is and you just shoot everything at that specific spot, especially in a playoff series. Once they find that, it's over. And right now for Paul DeYoung, they have found the hole in his swing and he has not adjusted. He has not found the way to be able to do that. And they want to find out over the next two, three, four weeks. Can he? Is there an adjustment in there that makes this work again? I think the answer is probably no. I would lean as a skeptic on the Paul DeYoung experiment. But they want to find out first before they throw that $15 million into another role at the very least. Coming up next, let's hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Jalen Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 101 ESPN will be live this Friday with our show, BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2 in the fast lane from 2 to 6 at Enterprise Center as we gear up for Game 3 that night here in St. Louis. If you got tickets and you're headed to Enterprise for Game 3 on Friday or Game 4 on Sunday afternoon, make sure you get there early. Enjoy the Bud Light Happy Hour pregame party in the Anheuser-Busch Beer Garden beginning two hours prior to puck drop. Enjoy live music, food, drink specials, and stop by the 101 ESPN table to get registered to win a signed Blues jersey. Alex, as we uh, put a bow on last night's game, game one, Blues win that one uh, in a shutout. Uh, biggest takeaway from that one for me was just Ville Husso clearly looking like the guy we hoped he would be, but nobody knew going in what they would get out of him. Uh, he earned the net. He earned the net for at a minimum this first round, and I think he's earned the net for the playoff run however long this thing goes he earned the net that was a big takeaway and but I think also the Blues earned the respect that they should be getting in this series against Minnesota not to be viewed as a team that I don't even remember what the percentage was but 25 percent chance that the Blues can beat Minnesota in this series Minnesota disrupted the Blues disrupted Minnesota's game plan and I think you saw that in the Jared Spurgeon cross check to Buchnevich you saw that with the extracurriculars I think the Blues have the solution on how to beat a Minnesota wild team and now it's just to put it to fruition in the next couple of games. Plenty more breakdown for game two, which you will hear right here tomorrow night on 101 ESPN from 11 to 2. The fast lane's coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.